השם נעשה ונצליח שיעור תורה Very good to be here, it's been a long time, ברוך השם, since we've been here. Some of the best שיעורים about אמונה, ביטחון, I've actually been in this house, ברוך השם. So today, we're going to continue the uh, series of the מוסר פרקי אבות, we're up to number 95, ברוך השם. But now, for the last four שיעורים, we've been doing the same exact משנה. משנה 5-8, which is the 10... Uh, special creations that uh, Hashem Yidbarach created before Shabbat. Uh, sp- ten one-time miracles. Many miracles have happened throughout all of creation. But these specific ten were creations that were one-time events. One-time events. Even the creation of um, Hashem's miracle of uh, splitting the ocean, splitting the Sea of Reeds, happened more than once. It actually happened three times that we know. Happened in the Sea of Reeds. That was the first time. Second time happened in the uh, the Jordan. The Jordan River was split for Yeshua ben Nun. And the third time is also in the Gemara. One of the Chachamim, one of the Tanaim, had to cross the uh, river and Hashem split the ocean for him. Actually, he split the ocean for him a couple of times. So, the in essence, as we talked about in this Mishnah, is that the miracles themselves weren't created. Meaning, here in this Mishnah, we're going to go over the Mishnah again, even though you guys have probably already heard it already a couple of times. It's still good for anyone who hasn't heard it. ואלו של אברהם אבינו, ויש אומרים, אף צבת בצבת עשויה. Translation, 10 things were created on Shabbat Eve, at twilight, meaning on Friday night, but before Shabbat actually officially came in. And they are the mouth of the earth, which is the mouth of the earth that opened up and swallowed Korach and his 250 followers, all big rabbis, all of the biggest rabbis in the world at the time, that joined Korach, all got swallowed up, and they're all screaming in Gehenom until now. For going against Moshe Rabbeinu, and in essence, going against Hashem. The mouth of the well, which is the well of Miriam, the prophet that followed Am Yisrael for 40 years. The mouth of Bil'am's donkey that rebuked him, that Hashem gave this uh, donkey the ability to speak like a human being speaks. The rainbow that uh, Hashem gave as a sign to Noah. as a uh, sign, as a breach, as a covenant, that he's not going to flood the world again and destroy it that way. The, he never said he's not going to flood the world or cause uh, tsunamis or anything like that. He's still going to do that, but to destroy the entire world, like he did at the time of Noah, he promised not to do, and the sign of the rainbow, which we went over yesterday, uh, that was the creation of the rainbow. The manna bread, that fed Am Yisrael for 40 years throughout all the desert, that tasted in any taste, in any flavor that they wanted, yet they still found reasons to complain, God bless them. Uh, but this is obviously a, uh, the lesson from the manna is all about Parnassah. Parnassah that all of us worry about too often. The staff, meaning the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, that we talked about last night, the... Uh, 672 pound 
uh, staff that uh, was made from Snaprinon, which uh, we talked about last night from the Mirage. It seems more like it's going to be uh, uh, platinum than sa- sapphire, just based on the physics aspect of it. The Shamir worm, which we also talked about last night, that was used to cut the stones for the Bet HaMikdash, the Kotel HaMaravi, is just one of many walls that, uh, you know, had in the Kotel HaMaravi. This, most people think that the Kotel HaMaravi, the western wall, is the whole western wall. It's not. It's actually just one small section of it. It's one small section of it. It continues much, much longer and much, much deeper underground. So anyone that hasn't seen it, one of the most amazing things that you can do is go into the uh, tunnels, into the western wall tunnels, and you'll see the, the, the western wall from the bottom. And you see that the size of the stones that they have on the bottom are much, much bigger than the top. Even though the ones on top are huge also, the ones on the bottom are massive, something that's uh, unbelievable, unbelievable sight. Uh, and this is all being really unearthed now because the destruction was severe and uh, for almost 2,000 years this hasn't been disclosed. So they're still digging to this day, but there's Baruch Hashem, a lot of discoveries over there. Uh, the script, meaning the uh, special holy alphabet called Sfat HaKodesh, the Hebrew alphabet that Hashem created the world with uh, and wrote the Torah with. It's in essence the DNA of the world, just like Le'avdil, uh, but just like, for example, in a digital world, everything is zeros and ones. Uh, the, uh, the real world, which is everything, uh, is actually Hashem Barach created it with the Aleph Bet. He looked at it with the Aleph Bet, so if you actually saw the world, I remember there was a movie maybe 20 years ago called The Matrix, and when the guy discovered that he's in a matrix, he saw everything in zeros and ones. It was like a green uh, script on a black screen, everything was zeros and ones. Uh, in reality, the if you saw the world for what it really is and how Hashem designed the world, it would be the Aleph Bet. It would be the Aleph Bet of, of, of Judaism. Uh, so the script was one of the ten things that was created uh, before Shabbat. The inscription, which is the special instrument that Hashem used in order to engrave the tablets of the Ten Commandments because those tablets themselves were a miracle at work how they were you were able to see all Ten Commandments from any corner that you would look at any any way that you would look at it you would still see the Ten Commandments as if it's in front of you so imagine you look at me right now you're seeing my face you go to my side but you still see my face as if it's in front you go to the back you see my face as if it's in front you either you took some mushrooms or something or there's a miracle happening so, Baruch Hashem, miracle that uh, this was a special tool that Hashem Bach created. The Luchot themselves, the tablets themselves, were also the original ones that uh, ended up being broken because Am Yisrael made a big sin of the golden calf. The original set that Hashem Bach himself wrote, uh, that was also created before Shabbat, uh, during the first six days of creation. The second set... Moshe Rabbeinu himself wrote. Hashem told him what to write and he wrote it. And now, up to, up to this, we've already covered. Now we have what we have left in this Mishnah, and Bezot Hashem will do our best to finish it tonight, is Mazikin, 
which is the destructive spirits, a.k.a. demons. Very interesting subject, especially to talk about it at night. Kvurato uh, shel Moshe, the uh, grave, the grave site of Moshe Rabbeinu. Eloshel Avram Avinu, the ram of Avram Avinu, the ram that, uh, in essence, Avram Avinu ended up using as a korban to replace Yitzchak and Akedat Yitzchak. After Hashem told him, don't touch him. So you have to replace it. I came all the way here to a korban. Eh, there's a ram. And there's a special story in the Midrash that talks about this special ram. And then last but not least, the tzvat, the uh, tongues. The tongues that uh, original tongues in, in general, in order to make them, you need tongues. So one of the opinions is, in the Gemara Masech Psachim, is that, oh, so that means that the original tongue, the tool, Hashem created the first one, because you need one to make one. But then, you know, the Tiferet uh, Israel says, no, 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 you don't need one. It's just that the first one uh, was actually um, uh, made by, you know, they molded, they made the mold, and then they poured the liquid in it. But there's a significance in this story as well of why, you know, this is obviously not a chidush. Why is this even part of this Mishnah? So now, the actual miracles themselves, as we talked about in the past, the miracles themselves didn't happen. And the argument is, if, the mir- if Hashem already created all of these miracles, for example, if He created the donkey and the, and the mouth of the donkey already at this time in Adam and Eve, and He created already the uh, you know, different creations in there, and that means that it was already predestined for Korach to sin. It was already predestined for the Aton to rebuke uh, Bilam. It was already predestined for a lot of these things to happen, so that removes free choice. If it's already made before the actual event happened, that means it's already, it's, it's already you know, there's, there's no free choice. So the Rambam explains it, is that the technology itself was made, meaning the ability for the creation to, uh, you know, to have such a miracle was made, benash mashot, but the actual product itself was not. What is it like? It's like if you have a blueprint, your blueprint of a building. So the blueprint of the building will tell you exactly everything you need to know about the building, how big it is, how you know, how wide, how tall, what kind of wood did you use, how much stone did you use. Uh, how many? Uh, how much glass there's going to be? Uh, a good blueprint is going to tell you literally every detail. How, what knobs you're going to use? You know how many doors they're going to be? How many windows? So the technology itself is there, but it still has to be built. So the technology for these one-time miracles was made. Ben Ashmashot, uh, twilight before Shabbat. But the actual creation itself was not made until later on. Further, we also have Parashat Truma, which we talked about a little bit yesterday, and how it talks about, in the beginning of the parasha, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the children of Israel, and let them take from me a portion from every man whose heart motivates him 
you shall take my portion. Meaning, every person that's motivated should give me what belongs to me anyway. He's not saying return it. He said, give it to me. What do you mean give it to me? Because at the end of the day, I put the money in your pocket. Hashem says, I put the money in your pocket. I put the money in your bank. So if you think you actually made the money, you're not going to have motivation to give it back. You're not going to have motivation to give ma'asev. You're not going to have motivation to donate for the better Mikdash. You're not going to have motivation to donate for Talmit Chacham or for Zikri Rabim for all these things because you think you made it. But you should know it's my portion really. You should know. So if you have motivation, meaning if you know the truth behind the money, then bring back what belongs to me. What do you mean bring back? Take a portion of what I gave you and give it to the Bet HaMikdash. Bring it to Kodesh. Now we don't have, unfortunately, a tabernacle on a Bet HaMikdash today. So the Chachamim say this is in essence to fund Torah. Funding Torah. But the main thing that most people do not understand in today's age is that not everybody can fund Torah. I know this doesn't sound normal because this is more of the supernatural than the natural, especially when you understand what I'm trying to tell you. But not everybody can fund Torah, especially Chuba. Especially the type of Torah that gets people to do Chuba. And the reason why is because there's many places in the Torah where Hashem specifically talks about getting people to do Chuba. Being the most significant thing that a person can do in their life to such an extent that the Zohar Kadosh says that if a person truly knew how important it is, how significant it is, how big the reward is for getting somebody to do tshuva, he would leave everything he's doing and start chasing people to, in the middle of the streets to get them to do tshuva. For how long? His whole life, 70 years. That's all he would do. If he actually knew the value of actually helping people do tshuva, he'd leave everything and he'd start chasing people. Not wait for them to come to lectures like they're doing him a favor. He'd actually go to them. Oh, is a chiloni over here? Okay, I'm going to go to his house. Yeah, but he didn't invite you. What's the matter? I'm going to his house. Hello? Yeah, you there? Yeah, you don't keep Shabbat? No, 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 no. Start giving lectures. But I didn't invite you to the house. I want Olamaba. I want 310 Olamabas. That's what you get. Every time you get somebody to do tshuva, Hashemit Baruch says you get 310 worlds. When somebody understands, and really understanding it, five seconds you understand it. Five seconds I say it, you understand it. You know, you know, I speak English. I say it in Hebrew also if you want. Believe it is something different. Believe it is something completely different. A lot of people understand. Everybody watching right now, they believe. They understand what I'm saying. Even people that didn't watch understand what I'm saying. To believe it is a different story. Why? Because if you believe it, it changes your life. If you really believe that getting Am Yisrael to do tshuva is the number one most important thing on the planet, it changes your life. Why? You can't look at the world the same anymore. The significance of the rest of the world changes to you. You no longer have time for nonsense. You no longer have time to go watch the game. You no longer have time to just read a uh, Harry Potter book. You no longer have time to just chit-chat. You no longer have interest in materialism so much. Why? You gotta save Jews. You think I'm gonna waste my time going to, uh, you know, to the store to go pick a watch? Waste three hours of my day to go pick a watch? 
I'd rather not have a watch. Why? I go see the Jew in those three hours. If you believe it, everything changes. If you believe it, your finances change. Your mentality change. Your relationship at home changes. The way you raise your kids, everything changes. Because now everything now revolves around Kiruv. Everything revolves around getting people to do Tshuva. Because you realize this is number one. But not everybody has the schut. And the reason why is because in the book of Jeremiah, Hashem Barach says to Jeremiah, and obviously to us, that if you bring someone that's making sin, someone that's not keeping Shabbat, someone that's not Shomer Mitzvot, and you make him into a precious, meaning if you get him to do tshuva, you get him to keep Shabbat, you get her to keep Tarat Mishpacha, you get her to become modest, you get her to do tshuva, you'll be like my mouth. What does it mean you'll be like my mouth? Just like I said 10 words and created the world, you will have the power to do the same. The Chachamim say, to such an extent, the power that Hashem gives people that do Kiruv, like Rav Huna in the Gemara, is to such an extent that even if Hashem passed the decree, Hashem Erechem, a negative decree, decided uh, so-and-so is going to die. He gave him the disease, cancer, Hashem Erechem, or some type of disease, and Rav Huna came and said, no, Hashem, save him. Don't kill him. Hashem says, I passed the decree. You said, no, fine, no. Change the decree of Hashem Yitbarach. Mamash, change the decree of Hashem Yitbarach. Why? Your partner, your full partner. So that's why when Rav, Rav Huna died, they said, where can we bury him? Where can we bury Rav Huna? So the Gemara in Masechet uh, Moed Katan says, where can we bury Rav Huna? What, there's uh, plenty of uh, Jewish cemeteries. Not a problem, Jewish cemeteries. But you can't just bury Rav Huna anywhere. Why? It has to be next to Tzadikim. Okay, there's plenty of Tzadikim in those days. Not like today where uh, maybe one in a million you're going to find somebody keep Shabbat. Very, very Tzadikim. It's the days of the Gemara. So why are they having such a tough time finding a grave for Rav Huna? says, Whoever he's buried next to has to have the merit to be buried next to him. Why? He wasn't just a tzaddik. He did kiruv. He was a mezakeh rabim. In the Gemara Masechet Moed Katan, page 25a, it says only one, only one person around here, he can be buried next to who? Rabbi Chia. Why? Rabbi Chia also did kiruv. He can be buried right next to him. So say, okay, so who has the merit to now carry the body and put it into the cave of Rabbi Chia and Banav and his, he was buried with his two sons? Who has the merit? Okay, very next time Rabbi Chia has the merit. But now who has the merit to actually carry the body of Rav Huna? It's Kodesh Kodeshim, it's Sefer Torah. So, so one guy, one Talmit Chacham says, I have it, I have it. I'll do it, no problem. No problem. Well, what's the big deal? He's, what's the problem? Reminds me of uh, my uh, grandfather, Alava Shalom, Saba Gavriel. He, my, uh, my uh, mother's father, Ghibli, Tzadik. 
And he used to bury in the days of the war, they were in Tripoli, and there were bombings all the time, Shemachim. And he would go into the rubble. He would go into the rubble and take out the bodies. Take out the bodies and bury them. Miskenim. Him and his brothers were giborim. They were giborim. They were uh, they were like the uh, heroes of the uh, of, of the city because a lot of the Arabs imachimam used to try to kidnap the Jewish women. So him and his brothers would go into into their Arab villages and take the women back. They'd fight. Him and his brothers would go fight uh, with the Arabs if necessary. But they also looked like them and they acted like them. They, meaning they, they saw them as equals. Weren't like a regular Jew. Oh, Israel? Okay, no problem. Why? You want the girl back? No problem. Why? He had a much. They had no fear. No fear. But the tzaddikim never said two words. So anyway, when there were bombings and so on, he would go and he would take the bodies and he would bury the bodies. I'm thinking about it, I get scared. Just thinking about the story, I get scared. So he would tell my mom and her sisters and all, you know, the whole family every Friday, he'd tell them stories. And uh, he'd tell them all types of stories of how when he goes to the cemetery at night, he sees different, uh, you know, different things. Different things that you only see in movies, but he saw it in real life. See, different spirits, different this, different that, talking, this, moving, and so on. It was very nice stories. Yeah, you know, and sometimes I see them in my hands. Because when you see my hands, I see all the people that I buried. All the people that I buried, I see all their faces in my hands. When I look at my hands, I see them. So my mom tells him, I heard this story a thousand times. And if I hear it a thousand one times, it's still exciting to me. Why? It's unbelievable what he said. Unbelievable. Mamash, the chokhmah of, of, of my grandfather, is, it's, just, it's very simple wisdom. It's very simple wisdom, but it's as relevant as you're ever going to get. My mom, God bless, she was tiny. She's a little girl. She has my grandfather. She goes, Abba, aren't you scared? You see faces in your hands of dead people. You're not scared? It's Binchi, my daughter. You don't need to be scared of dead people. You need to be scared of living people. Living people you can be scared of. Dead people, what are they going to do to you? You have nothing to be afraid of. If you think about it, it's a hundred percent true. Not just a hundred, a thousand percent true. So back to the Gemara. The Tamid Chacham brought... Rav Huna into the cave. And now Rabbi Chia is buried next to his two sons. Now the spirits of the, of the tzaddikim remain at the grave. So the brothers, one tells the other, the Gemara says, no, move, it's not kavod for Rav Huna to wait for, for this guy to make a spot for him. Move, give him your spot. Give him your spot, move. So he moved. And the guy, and it created like a fire, like a spiritual fire. So the guy that thought he had the merit to go bury him got so scared he ran away. He left the body there and ran away. Even to be buried next to someone that's a mezakeh and rabim, you have to have a merit. So imagine supporting it. Imagine doing it. Big deal. It's a very big deal, but not everybody has this merit. And the reason why, because you can have millions and millions of dollars. It's no question. 
But where that millions and millions of dollars are going to go to, only Hashem can decide that. It all depends on the merit. There's many people that donate money. Baruch Hashem, there's many rich people in Am Yisrael. And Am Yisrael is known to be very generous. Per capita, the Jewish people are known to be the most generous people in the world. There's no questions asked. The problem is that a lot of the generosity goes to stupidity. It goes to save dogs, cats, dolphins, uh, certain uh, species of butterfly, uh, uh, Bertha the elephant, uh, a gate in the Noahide Zoo, all types of stuyot in the world. These are all real foundations, by the way. There's really places to save dolphins and butterflies and the tigers and the zoo. There's one family in Israel donated $400,000, which in Israel is an enormous amount of money. $400,000 for what? To build a gate for the elephant, Ilui Nishmat, the, the father that died. Ilui Nishmat. Ilui Nishmat, they built a gate for an elephant in a zoo, in a Noahide zoo. Ilui Nishmat, for the merit of the life of the father that died. So every time the elephant poops next to the gate, it's helping the Neshama somehow. I don't know. I mean, the stupidity of people. The stupidity of man leads him to make sins and then he gets mad at Hashem for punishing him. Oh, it's like, okay, you want to donate a gate or donate a gate. You want to donate a building, donate a building. But how is he going to benefit out of the gate for an elephant? How? But that's the foolishness of man. Why? No merits, miskinim. Why no merits? Hashem says, if you donate that $400,000 to go save Am Yisrael, to get them back to Hashem Itbach, to start saying Shema Yisrael every day, to start putting on tefillin every day, to start listening to Shuret Torah every day, I have to fulfill what you say. If you say, if you ask me for something, the deal is, I have to, I have to fulfill it. Why? Kepitiyeh. I told Jeremiah. And I told Ezekiel, and I told Moshe Rabbeinu, I told Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, you say something, I'm going to do it. Why? You're doing Kiruv. I don't want you to do Kiruv. Why? I don't want to do what you say. Uh, no deal. I'd rather you not save Am Yisrael than do what you say. Why? Because what comes out of your mouth, I don't want to do it. What comes out of your mouth, I don't want to do it. What are you going to ask for? You're going to say, you're going to say, oh, Hashem, uh, I'm going to save one Jew. Let me, uh, give me uh, another $10 million so I can buy another strip club. So you save one Jew and you kill another 30,000 a week. I don't want to fulfill your wishes. Hashem, uh, you know, I'm going to save one Jew. Give me another uh, $50 million so I can get uh, a whole uh, neighborhood of, of bars and casinos. So, okay, so you save one Jew, but you killed 50,000 a week. I don't want to fulfill what you say. Not everybody's going to have the merit. Not everybody's going to have the merit. It's very sad and it makes life very difficult for me makes life very difficult for Rav Mizrahi. Makes life very difficult for Rav Ephraim. Makes life very difficult for anyone that does real Kiruv. Rabbis, speakers, there's plenty. Baruch Hashem, you can get a new speaker every day of the week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're still going to have leftover at the end of the year. Speakers, there's many, many. But people that actually come to a lecture and people come out of the lecture doing tshuva, very few. According to a big rabbi that I know, spoke to him maybe two weeks ago. In his opinion, he says there's less than 10 in the world. Hebrew, English, French, whatever. 
altogether. Less than 10 in the world. And he knows. I didn't second guess him. He threw me in there. I don't necessarily, uh, you know, whatever, I don't debate. I don't have the right to debate anything, but he says there's less than 10 people in the world that actually get people to do real tshuva. To, 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 to do a few mitzvah, yeah, every speaker gets you to do a mitzvah. You come to a speech, he tells you, listen, do kriyat So the whole crowd says kriyat shma, shma, slash, okay, tomorrow you're going to do it too? No. Okay, come on, guys, no, I gave you guys free cookies. Everybody do bracha. All of a sudden, everybody's babasali. Baruch, Hashem. Everybody's there's the, the, the blessing so loud, the neighbors are complaining. Are you, do you do every blessing like that? No, it's just right now you're doing. Why to show off? That's not tshuva. That's just one. Okay, you got the guy to do mitzvah. Tshuva means the guy broke his stone heart and replaced it with a flesh heart. Mamash, he has decided or she has decided what, it's Hashem, what does Hashem want? He wants this? I'm going to do it. What does Hashem want? He wants this? I'm going to do it. Even though I don't like it. Even on this. It doesn't make a difference. Tshuva means you're removing yourself from yourself. You, you replace yourself with Hashem. What does Hashem want? That's all you care about. That's tshuva. Very few people can do it. Very few people want to do it. One of the biggest reasons is because it's very, very difficult to find donors. Because it's not even a matter of people not wanting to donate. It's a matter of most people don't have the merit to donate. Because if I get somebody, I say, listen, Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah. Let's, let's, let's start. Let's write a Sefer Torah. You go to any Bet Knesset you want. Poor, rich, Syrian, uh, Ashkenazi, this. Every Bet Knesset. Tell them, listen, we're going to do a fundraiser for, for, for Sefer Torah. You're guaranteed to get the money the same day. Doesn't matter how big the Sefer Torah is. It could be 20000 or 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 100000 Guaranteed, same day you're getting the money. No questions asked. Everybody wants to do Sefer Torah. How many people do Tshuva because of Sefer Torah? Not many, if any. You tell somebody, listen, we're going to have a very big pooing party. Purim's coming up in a few weeks. We need to come up with uh, $10,000 for the bouncy house and the zoo to come to the this and the this and the that. Same day, cash, $10,000. Maybe I'll give you an extra $2,000 just in case the horse costs a little more. In case the little ponies need a little extra tip. They give you extra. No question. How many people do children for parties? Not so much. You tell people, listen, I'm going to buy some gemarot. I'm going to buy some gemarot for the Bet Knesset. Each set is $2,000. Each says $2,000. We want to buy five sets. Five sets. $10,000. Same day, Rabotai. Maybe a day and a half. Because it's not as exciting as the Torah. A day and a half. Cash, 10000 Why? 99% of the time, the Gemarot sit in the walls collecting dust. No one ever opens them. No one ever looks at them. But they look good for anyone that comes to visit. Oh, wow, look how many books you have. He doesn't know that no one actually reads these books. They're just collecting dust on the walls. The rabbi says against the Gemara, but he has the Gemara over there. He says, look, we have it in the Gemara. Yeah, did you ever open it, though? Did you ever open it? No, he never opened it. Hey, open it. But he tells people, listen, we have all these mitzvot, Fam Yisrael, Sefer Torah, the Gemarot, the Purim party, the Hanukkah party, the Shema Yisrael, all of those things is good. What about Am Yisrael itself? How about we get them? Because right now, 94%, 94% of American Jews believe that it's 100% okay to work on Shabbat. A PEW research that came out a few years ago says 94%. Believe that it's a hundred percent okay 
to work on Shabbat. Now, why is this a significant number? Because 10%, 10% of American Jews keep Shabbat, meaning 90% don't. 90% of American Jews don't keep Shabbat, unfortunately. But 94% believe it's okay to work on Shabbat, which means that 4% that keep Shabbat actually don't really want to keep Shabbat. They say that technically they're only keeping Shabbat because it's family or it's like friends, it's whatever, it's like custom. In reality, they believe, listen, if you need the money, it's perfectly fine to work Shabbat, work on Shabbat. That's what the statistics are telling you. If 90% are not keeping Shabbat and 94% saying that it's perfectly okay to work on Shabbat, which is the opposite of keeping Shabbat, that means that part of the people that are actually keeping Shabbat are saying it's okay to work on Shabbat. Meaning that the, the Tum'ah, the impurity of our sins, is also infiltrating the few religious ones that remain. It's not just the secular people that need help. The religious need just as much help. Different ways, different days, but nonetheless the same thing. So he told Ami Israel, listen, why don't we help people do tshuva? He's like, no, I did tshuva already five years ago. Why do you do tshuva? I keep Shabbat. Okay, you keep Shabbat. So as the monkey keeps Shabbat, but you have to do tshuva. What? I keep kosher. I keep the holidays. I have a sukkah. It's big in my house. Fine. So you have a sukkah. You have kosher. You have uh, tarat mishpacha. You have Shabbat. You still have to do tshuva. Tshuva means you have to replace your heart. Tshuva means you have to replace your will with Hashem's will. That's what tshuva is. It's not easy to do tshuva. You tell people this, they look at you, you have five heads. Like, no, you're machmir, you're, you're astringent. I'm like, it's not me, it's Rambam. Go to, go to Gane, then ask him, Rambam, how come you did a halacha like this? This is what tshuva is. Ask him, well, maybe there's a, a leniency for you. Maybe there's a leniency for you. Maybe your tshuva is different. I don't know, tshuva over here is different. So when it comes to actual tshuva, Rabotai Karim, people don't understand the value of it. People don't understand the significance of it. People don't understand the need. And the reality is, even if they do, it still doesn't mean that they're going to have the merit to do it, to be part of it. Even if they do like it, and they appreciate it, and they believe in it, and all that still doesn't necessarily mean that Hashem is going to allow them to be partners. Why? Maybe they made a lot of sins that not yet, He doesn't want them yet. Or maybe they have to do tshuva themselves. Like I have plenty of people that love what we do, but they themselves are not ready to do tshuva. They love the fact that we go and we give lectures and people do tshuva and you see people putting tzitzit on, they never put a tzitzit on, do tshuva Yisrael and watch Torah. They love it. But they themselves are not ready 100% to do tshuva. They keep a few mitzvot, they're getting stronger. You can't keep watching the lectures without getting stronger. But they're not ready 100% to jump on board. So I always wonder, how come you don't donate or give or this or that? Why? Shem says, why? You're not ready to do tshuva. You want to be a partner of tshuva? How? And sometimes you see the most unusual things in the world. Sometimes I see that people that are not even Jewish, people that are not even Jewish, willing to must sacrifice their life, sacrifice their livelihood in order to help Amisla do tshuva. 
This is what we call the righteous among the nations. I got a few guys like this that seriously, each time there's a donation that comes from them, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or it's a thousand. It's always amazing to me. Because why do you care? I know they love Hashem, obviously. They love the Torah. They watch the Shurim. They, they're doing tshuva themselves. Some of them want to convert, but they're not ready yet for different reasons, because of living situations, because of this situation, well, different reasons. But still, I always ask myself, you would just, there's this one kid, I always talk about this young kid. Mama, this kid impresses me every time. He's almost 20 years old, not even 20 years old, but he's a father. He's not like a 20-year-old playing with video games like the idiots of today playing video games. He's 20 years old. He has a kid already. He's a father. Makes makes 350 bucks a week. He doesn't make much money. He has a son. You have to support the kid. I have two kids, Baruch Hashem. 350 bucks a week is not enough for them. Just diapers, I think, is 300 bucks a week. God bless him. This kid is mamash. He donates 20% of his salary. He donates $80 a week. I don't know how he does it. But obviously, Hashem gives, is giving him blessing his money. He donates $80 a week, which means... That's 300 bucks a month, $320 a month. That's more than most of the people that I have that donate that make 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 a month. There's some people that I have that literally make 100,000 a month. When they send tzedakah, $25. $25, I had one guy, three months, three months. God bless him. Listen, it's not his fault even. I'm not trying to insult anyone. This is a reality. I'm trying to explain to you what it means to have schut, to have merit to do tshuva, and to have merit to be part of doing of, of helping people do tshuva. There's one guy, three months he's telling me he wants to donate money. Three months. I say, okay, the Baruch Hashem, there's a website, www.bezrathashem.org. Even if you misspell the Bezrat Hashem, I'll still get there. We have the one with two E's, with the one E, you'll get there, Bezrat Hashem. Bezatashem.org, you'll get even you'll say the Bezatashem.com, you'll get there also. Just just type it in. Go on the website. You have PayPal, PayPal. You want some other one? There's five other way, five different ways to donate if you want to donate. You don't want to donate online because of whatever reason, send a check. The address is on the website also. You don't want to donate with a check, you don't want to donate in the mail. Come to the lecture. Send a dove with a change. What do you want me to tell you? There's a million and a half different ways to send the money. Three months he's telling me he wants to donate, but he wants to meet me and he wants to see me and he wants to this. I don't do meetings. Everybody knows this here. I don't do meetings. Unless it's mamash life risk, I don't do meetings. I never did meetings in the business world. I don't do meetings in the Torah world. Why? I believe it's a complete waste of time. In the business world, each type, each meeting that I actually ever had had to be at least seven figures for it to be worth for me to come there. In the business world. Meaning, you have to give me minimum a million dollars for me to show up to a meeting. Why? It's a waste of time. You could just call me. You call me, we do the same thing. Why am I going to show up to a meeting and we chit-chat and you ask me about your kids and our kids and that dog and the cat and then this and that. Finally, when we get to what we want to talk about, it's three hours into it. takes five minutes to talk about what we need to talk about and then I go home. We could have finished the whole thing in five minutes. Why am I going to waste three hours of my time for five minutes? Just call me. Okay, want to do the trade? We'll do the trade. Fine. Deal. Finished. You don't want to do it? Just keep your money in the bank. Will you do me any favors? I always tell my clients, I have more money than you. I don't care. I don't need your money. I have more money than you. I'm my biggest client. You don't you want to send the money? Send the money. You don't want to send the money? I have more money than you anyway. You're not helping. I'm helping you. 
That's the same mentality. I'm not going to go spell. No, no, but I want to meet you. I don't have time to meet you. And that was arrogant, but that was me in the business world. In the Torah world, it's very different. I don't have the time. Not because I'm arrogant and I'm still like, well, I have my own midot to work on, but because I'm learning Torah. I'm not going to go spend three hours of Torah time that maybe, maybe I'll have a chance to get to Gan Eden. Maybe I'll have a chance to maybe get to Gan Eden. I'm going to go take three hours of Torah time to go talk to you about your what? About the cars and the houses and the food that you're eating? What's the meaning about? It's five minutes. Five minutes. Well, you want to donate? Okay, here's the check. Give me the check. Goodbye. See you later. Why, you want to talk about a problem, a personal problem? 15 minutes. It doesn't require the meeting. The meeting is always hours. It's always hours, the meetings. It's never like five. No, there's no such thing as a five-minute meeting. It doesn't exist. Everybody knows. You guys have, you come to the shul, and I meet with everybody after the shul. Everybody says, no, no, five minutes, five minutes. 45 minutes later, we finish with the five minutes. 45 minutes later, we finish with the five It's never five minutes. So I know it. So whatever, I limit my meetings to the actual lectures. But the thing is, though, is that some people say, no, no, but I want to donate. They try to bait me like I'm a little kid, like I'm a, you know, a donkey, and they, they're giving me a carrot. No, I'm going to donate. I'm going to donate. So this guy, God bless him. God bless his soul. I'm telling you, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. Why? The guy, three months, three months he's telling me he wants to donate. I want to donate. And I want to be part of this. And I want to do this. And I want, I'm thinking, this guy, wow, this guy, that's the guy I've been waiting for this whole time. He's going to fund the books that we're trying to do. The CDs, the movies, the few new employees we need to get. The office, the Bet Midrash. He has money. It's not like he's poor. Three months, three months, he's talking about the donor. I said, okay, I don't have time to meet. I don't have time to meet. Anyway... I don't fall for it, but we end up meeting. I don't go. We end up running into each other in a different place. I don't go. I don't do the meetings, but we end up running into each other in a different place. Run into each other. Oh, good. Finally, whatever. We talk for, I don't know, a half hour. Yeah. Ooh, uh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I got the check. He gives me the check. The check is this big. He gives me the check, and I don't look at checks. Whatever, until I get home, I get time. Sometimes I don't look at the check for a week. Whatever, it's a check. Whatever it is, it's a check. I go home, the check, and I'm thinking, okay, so what is it going to be? Okay, the amount, three months, okay, if, if, let's say, for example, the amount of stuff that he said he wants to be a part of, minimum 50000 But I said, you know what? I don't have that, I don't have that kind of, uh, there's, there's no way. I don't have, don't wait. 25000 then on the start, I start thinking about what some of the things that he said. I'm like, no, no, it's no way twenty-five thousand. It's probably five thousand. Okay, but five thousand is still not so bad. We can still do some CDs. Still do some things with it. It's five thousand. Baruch Hashem, five thousand is good. Like you know what, five thousand. Yeah, maybe four thousand. Maybe three. Maybe two. Uh, you know what? Let's just see what it says. I open a check. How much is the check, guys? Who, who, who's give or, give or take? <laughs> Zakubo, thirty-six dollars. Thirty-six dollars. $36 I got. $36. $36. Two times high. I'd rather get met. At least met is 440 But you understand, Abutan, you understand? It's not his fault. It's not his fault, me scan. It's not his fault. Guy made less, no less than 50000 last month. No less than 50000 last month. But me scan, $36. All he can handle is Neshama cannot handle more than $36. 
It cannot. It's unbearable for his neshama. If I tell him, listen, we're doing a Sefer Torah, I'll write me a check for 10000 no problem. If I tell him, listen, we're going to go buy, I don't know, uh, Hanukkah parties for every shul in, 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 in the uh, neighborhood, I'll write me a check for each Hanukkah party. No problem. I tell the guy, listen, we have neshamot to save, free lectures, free books, free the, to get people to do tshuva. $36, all the neshama can handle. That's all it can handle. That's all. It's not his fault. It's his fault, but it's not his fault. Do you understand? The best is sometimes Abutai is, this is all for toilet, not to make fun of people. This is just a reality. I was on the other side of the boat too, myself. I donated a ton of money. I donated over a million dollars in my life. It didn't go to Kiruv. It didn't go to Kiruv. Only in the end it started going to Kiruv. The first 900,000 didn't go to Kiruv. So, the reality is, is that sometimes you don't realize that you don't have any merit. You think that you're doing good. You think that you're doing good. You think that, hey, listen, I give money to this shishiva, I give money to this uh, rabbi, I give money to this, 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 this. You think you're doing good. You donate a lot of money every month. But you still have a lot of problems in your life. You still have no shalom bayit. Your kids are getting off the derech Hashem Echem. Health crisis. You pray, Hashem is not answering. You pray, Hashem is not answering. What does it mean? It means that your tzedakah is not working. That's what it means. If you're giving money, and you still have sicknesses in your house, and you still have no shalom bayit, and your kids are not interested in Torah, that means your tzedakah is not working. There's something missing. Something's missing. You're either giving it to the wrong place, or you're giving it for the wrong thing, or it's not getting there. You're giving a million dollars for people to learn Torah, and in reality, the organization is using it for toilet paper. Use it for toilet paper. Somebody, this it's a true story. Somebody came to one of the Gdolea Dor in the previous generation, and uh Shiva. And he told him, I want to donate for your Yeshiva a million dollars. A million dollars, a lot of money. As a check and everything, not just talk. There's a million dollars, cash. What's the problem? He's a Catholic priest. He's a Catholic priest. Now, if I, the Rav says, I don't have the uh, memory to remember his name, but I heard the story just the other day. The Rav says, if I say no, if I say no, it could bring sinala yudim, it could create hate. Why? They say, what? The Jews are not accepting our charity? They think they're better than us? Huh? You know what? I'll use that million dollars to go buy weapons to kill them. So if I say no, it can create anti-Semitism. On the other hand, if I say yes, I take the million dollars, I can't use it for Torah. I can't buy Sifra Torah with this million dollars. It came from Abu Dazara. I can't use this million dollars for, for Torah. I can't use this million dollars to go uh, get people. What can I do? Ah! Had the idea. No problem. We'll take it. What did he do? He bought a million dollars worth of toilet paper and different toiletries for the bathrooms. For years, literally for decades, the yeshiva, the yeshiva had everything they needed to do for the toilets. They didn't have food, we skin him. Even food, the, 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 the Talmudim didn't have food sometimes, but they had toilet paper. They had napkins. They had, Mama, I'm dead serious. It's a real story, 50 years ago. 
That's a rab that has yirat shamayim. Today you give any anybody a million dollars, they will say, we'll buy the rabbi too with the million dollars. The rabbi will buy it for the million dollars, put it in a package, we'll send it to the church with you if you want. Well, you know what? Bring your uh, Christian priest to our uh, synagogue, like this idiot from Poker Raton tried to do. He paid the guy $40,000 to come give a shield to, to, to Jews. $40,000 you're giving to a Catholic missionary to go give a lecture to Jews. This is the stupidity of men today. So, Rabotai, when Hashem Itbarach says, Tikhu etrumati, take, take my portion. What do you mean, take my portion? It should be, give my portion. Or give your portion. So it's, it's, does it make sense? He says, it's my money anyway. It's my money anyway. You have to decide if you're going to be the vessel. If you have, I'm going to give you $5,000. I'm going to give you $5,000. You can decide to use the 4900 of it to buy a watch and $100 for Kiruv or the opposite. Many people tell me, no, listen, next month, next month, next month. I don't ask for money, Baruch Hashem. But, you know, they always tell, people always like tell me, yeah, I'm going to donate, I'm going to donate. I don't donate, 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 don't donate. Makes no difference in my life. It's better for you. But people always like tell me they're going to donate. Okay, so donate. Oh, but not now, next week. Okay, so next week. I don't have now. I'm thinking, oh, no, okay. And then you see the person posting on, on, on Facebook, they just bought a watch for $15,000. Okay, so you don't have $1,000 to give to Cube. You don't even have $50 to give to Cube. Forget $1,000. $50 to give, but you have $15,000 to buy a watch. This is, again, it's not his fault, Miss Skin. He just doesn't have the merit. He doesn't know it. It's like somebody has cancer, he doesn't know it. Someone has, he doesn't know Miss Skin. He's, the, he's more, he's, somebody that has cancer and knows it is much better off than somebody who doesn't know it. So that's what people need to understand. Last but not least, since we're already on a topic and then we're going to move on to something completely different, there's the issue of what we're trying, we're doing this fundraiser on the internet for a while now, and a lot of people ask me, what does the, the bottom of it mean? Because people like to ask, where's the money going? So I put a list of all the money, where the money is going. But, oh, Hashem, not a single dollar is going to me. So no one has to worry about me getting rich. Not even a penny goes to me. Um, all of it goes to Bezat Hashem. All of Bezat Hashem's money goes to Kiruv. No one has to worry about me being, being rich. I'm still going to stay where I'm at right now. Um, no, people are worried. No, is going to get rich. Come on, no. Then he's not going to give lectures anymore. So people ask, where's the money going? So I listed it. But also on the bottom I said that we have this thing of we're going to give a uh, mezuzah for anyone that donates $5,000, whether they donate $5,000 at one time or they sign up to a recurring $400 a month, whatever it is. So I got these special mezuzot from a big Tamit Chacham in Israel. Uh, the mezuzot themselves, the, just themselves, are worth $300. Because they're big, they're extra big cloth, and they're coming from a big Talmud Chacham. And then we got special casings from it, which I give you a few of the examples. Uh, and we're going to get more in the mail in uh, maybe uh, two months from now. It takes a while to make them. I only have a few left. But anyway, for this fundraiser that we're doing on the, on the internet for $250,000, it's not the annual budget. It's just to get us to complete some of these projects. It's not all we need. If it's all we need, you have to add a few zeros. All we need. 
People are worried about, oh, the 250000 you get rich off it. This is not even paying for all these projects. But anyway, the few things that are on this list, because some people don't know what the money is going for, so I'll just repeat it once and for all. Maybe we'll make a clip out of this so people know where the money is going to. Again, not a penny of it is going to me, so you don't have to worry about me being rich. You don't have to worry. It's fine. People that are worried about me being rich or me taking all the money and, and going back into the stock market, I'm not going so, what's the $250,000 going to? Okay, currently, currently, with or without the $250,000, somehow, we're doing these projects. How we're going to pay for all of them, I have no idea. That's up to Hashem. It's his problem. But this money would help every one of these projects. First one, the uh, CD, the first CD by Rabbi Fine. There's already a CD. It's almost finished as far as making the CD. Uh, and we need to print it. We need to print, you know, many, many copies. Each one of these CDs costs money. I know we give it for free, but they cost money. So, Robert Frame's first CD, we're about 65% away. We're 65% into the project. Pretty much what's missing is the last two steps of the CD. The design is already made. The last few things as far as picking the lectures and the money. Second project is mass uh, production and distribution of my CD number three. We have number one and number two. We need number three. Next thing is... It's actually not on this list, but uh, this actually just came up. We're, we are officially 500 CDs away, no, 1,000 CDs away from finishing all the CDs we have. We have no more. We're out of CD number one and two. So there's a few left in the car. There's a few left in the warehouse. We're finished. So we have to do another run of CD number one and two, the double CD. Uh, and we have to do CD number three. Uh, CD number three, we haven't even started. We have the lectures, but there's not a shame. Uh, next is the big thing, the biggest thing that I think we're working on already for over a year. Sadiq in California has been working on it. Bezat Hashem app. The app is Hashem. I just got notice from uh, Apple today that they're reviewing it, and it's in the final stages. It's been reviewing it for already for three months. It's, it's not so easy to get uh, an app approved, but it's the app itself is finished. We just need uh, the final uh, tweaks. With Apple, which can take another month, another week, I don't know yet, but it's in final stages. He, Baruch Hashem, finished uh, the work. We just need the final things from Apple. So, Bezat Hashem, that the app will be released very soon. Uh, the Bezat Hashem website, as anyone that's gone to our website, was renewed about uh, five months ago, needs constant maintenance. There's errors, there's bugs, there's different additions, constant maintenance. We need somebody to do that uh, more than what we have now. The Kiruv packages, even though everybody sees the Kiruv packages, we advertise them. It's $95 for domestic Kiruv package. It's $200 for international. If you want to ship it to Africa or to Canada, the shipping is very expensive. You want to get it in America, it's $95. And we keep adding more material to it. In the beginning, it was just a book and a few CDs. Now it's 12 CDs, two books, a bunch of posters. Um, but the best part about the Kiruv package is that 99% of them, nobody pays for. Nobody buys them for $95. 99% of them are given for free. Once in a blue moon, somebody pays for the Kiru package. 99% of the time, anyone that's gotten the Kiru packages knows you got it for free. No one can say, oh, I paid for the Kiru packages. It's much rare. If you do the numbers, literally, 99% of them are given for free. So why? Because I tell people, listen, it's $95. Oh, okay, let me get back to you. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll send you for free. Get back to me. You know, it's, you, 
if we die next week without tshuva, what's going to be? They're going to come to me and shine and say, oh, for $95, your, uh, your, your fellow brother or sister, Jew, didn't do tshuva. So I can't take that on my cheshbon. So uh, next thing is uh, DVD. DVD with the different movies that we made. Baruch Hashem, we have over 30 movies. A lot of people like them. This is good stuff. It's another thing, but it's still early stages. I mean, it's, I mean the movies are made. We have uh, one, two, three, four, f- five movies in the makings right now. Five movies in the makings right now. One guy in California, one guy in uh, Florida, and one guy in Israel making uh, movies for us, Baruch Hashem. Some of it costs more money, some of it costs less, some of it doesn't cost us charity. But the point is, it's all time-consuming and uh, costs money. Lecture tour. Lecture tour, all of these lectures, New York, Canada, California, all these different things, people want me to come, Baruch Hashem, but somebody has to pay for it. And uh, since we give lectures for free, People think that it's free. It's not free. It costs money. It costs money for a plane. It costs money for cars. It costs money for all these things. So we need money for that also. Uh, the USB drive with a lot of the lectures, I'm not exact, to be honest, personally, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of the USB things. Because even though you can fit a lot of information on a USB, I think that uh, it's bad for market. It's not as good for marketing. You can't fit that much marketing on it. But whatever, we're going to try to do some of it. Print a few thousand of them. Uh, social networking uh, uh, and media and marketing, uh, production of uh, more, more um, oh here, here's five of the movies I told you about, each one of the movies, one of them is 25% in, two of them are um, f- over 50%, two of them were recently released, and there's actually two other ones that are also about 50%, so there's four 50%, two recently released, and one is at 25%. Uh, then there's the Huge projects. Rabbi Ephraim has three books. It's a three-book series called Doresh Tov. They already were written. They're already published in Hebrew, but we're translating it to, to, to English. Uh, it's about... The first book is a, is a chidush about every parashah in the Torah. Parashat Shavua. Second book is about every single significant day in Judaism, whether it's Yom Kippur or Shana. Uh, Purim, there's a chidush, bar mitzvahs, cholamoyed, and so on. There's a chidush from the Torah in different places about each one of those things. And the third book is a chidush about every single th- every single tractate in the Gemara, the entire Shas. So it's a fantastic book in Hebrew, but most of our fans don't read uh, Hebrew. So we're, we've been working on it already for almost a year to translate it to English. We're about, I'd say almost 50%. 50% uh, finished, more than 35%. We continue, so we're about 50% in as far as the translation part. Uh, and then obviously we have to print it. Uh, oh, Rav uh, Ephraim's uh, third, uh, there's a, he already wrote two books. There's part three of Shelot Vichuvot, Questions and Answers, series that he has. Uh, he already wrote the first two and published. The third one, is in print right now. It's being printed right now, but hopefully it will be released next week. Next week will be released in Israel. Next thing is the uh, supporting full-time Torah scholars. We have an average of about 
uh, several thousand dollars a month we sent to Israel every every uh, every month. Several thousand dollars every month we sent to Israel. learned Torah full time. Some people partner with us specifically for that. Some people donate in general. We use the money to send to Tamidech uh, Hamim. So that's an ongoing thing. It never ends. We'd like to increase it, obviously, to to help more people. But the biggest project, personally, for me, is a six-book series. That is my book. Well, it's six books uh, of Musar. Six books, six books, six books, maybe even more about Musar. The uh, sources, just like the lectures, just the lectures, the Krakea Avot series, printing it. We are right now still early stages. I think we have maybe maybe 300 pages written so far, 300 pages, which is really like a book, but there's a lot more. There's a lot more. So it's probably, I think, by the time we're finished with the whole thing, it's probably going to be like 10 books. But it's big. It's a big project. It's going to take a while. I don't think we're going to release the whole thing at once. It's probably going to be one book at a time. But it takes time for somebody to write, for somebody to this. It's all me doing uh, some of the, uh, the, the information, but I need help with different things. So this is also why, because some people like movies, some people like lectures, some people like books, some people like CDs. So we got to get to Amisrael any way that we possibly can. Now, the $250,000 will pay for some of all of these things. It's not all of them. Just the books themselves will give you an understanding. Just the six to ten books themselves. My, that project alone is not going to cost anything less than $100,000 by the time we're finished with it. So just that project alone is no less than $100,000. It's probably going to be even more, $150,000. So obviously the two fifty, we're not going to use half the budget just for that book. We have to get more. And the CDs, each time you buy order CDs, it's $25,000, dollars $100,000. So obviously, this 250 is not for all of that. It's just for... So that's the thing. So we're trying to get as many people as possible. Now, to encourage some people uh, to donate, uh, we have these mezuzot from Israel. We have some left, but we're getting more. That are special made. Like I told you, each mezuzah is a, is a meuderet. It's very, very special. Um, and the scroll is already in it. We already had to put the scroll in it. The scroll is much bigger. Like your average scroll... Is like, let's say, the, a little smaller or about the size of a coffee cup. This scroll is almost double the size. So it's a much bigger scroll. And we have different houses, special houses that we got from Yerushalayim that are in it. The mezuzah itself is probably around $300, three, $300 to $400 in, in America. Uh, and uh, Israel, it's also expensive. And the house itself is about... Probably in Israel, it's probably close to $100. In America, it's probably double that. So the point is, it's very valuable, but still. I mean, we're not going to give you $5,000 worth of stuff for, for some of the money going to go to Tzedakah. But the point is, anyone that donates will get one of these mezuzot. It's very uncomfortable for me to ask anyone to donate, but the point is, this is what we're doing. So this specific mezuzah, I'm giving to the Baalat Abayit as a present because we've been doing lectures over here for the last couple of years as a sign of thank you very much for all the lectures, for learning Torah with us, the skill and mitzvot, it's been an enormous amount of Torah Baruch Hashem that we've learned. And uh, this mezuzah is for you. The other ones look like it. Some of it look different. This one is beautiful also. It's metal. Um, each one of them is, uh, has, its own, uh, has its own beauty. This one's also beautiful. We put it back in the box because, you know, I'm not going to carry mezuzah by themselves, but each one is metal and this. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Anyway, the uh, campaign is going. And this is the last time I'm going to talk to anybody about money. Bezat Hashem. I don't like talking about it. 
if I want to talk about money, I go back to Wall Street. But at least people know that it's available. It's very, very, very uncomfortable to talk about Torah and, and money at the same time. Usually people have like assistants. I have my assistant, it just ends up being me also. I'm my own assistant. So, we go back to Parashat Truma. Parashat Truma has, starts off with, in regards to, if you're going to give, give with your full heart, not with just words. Don't be one of the, the Mishnah in Avot says, the righteous say little, do much. The wicked say a lot, do little. The wicked say a lot, do little. So, the uh, Torah here, one of the... Uh, Beautiful things about this parasha also is that there's actually two verses in this parasha that are proofs for the oral Torah. The oral Torah that all of the secular people that don't want to do tshuva, all of the uh, Christians, the missionaries especially, that battle the, the, the oral Torah, uh, they say, where does it say in the Torah? Oral Torah. It says written Torah. Where is the oral Torah? So actually this parasha has two verses that are proofs for the oral Torah, in uh, chapter 26, verse 30, uh, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that, you know, to, as far as building this tabernacle, He told them all the instructions, what to do, how to do it, and so on and so forth. But in this specific verse, He says, You shall erect the tabernacle according to its manner, as you will have, show, you will, you have been shown in the mountain. Meaning, you saw how I did it. What do you mean you saw I did? Hashem literally showed Moshe Rabbeinu how to do everything. Which means that it's not just what's written in the Torah, that's our Torah. There was also part of the Torah that was shown and told to Moshe Rabbeinu that's not, that's not actually written. And that's what we call the oral Torah. In this actual uh, verse, it's said twice. It's said twice in this parasha. One I just mentioned to you, the other one is in chapter 27. Verse 8. Verse 8, also again it says, As you were shown on the mountain, so shall they do. So again, obviously showing that there was a lot going on in Mount Sinai, much more than Moses just going to, collecting two uh, tablets. So now, going back to our Mishnah. Oh, it's already been an hour. Talked a lot. So, having fun. So, the... Uh, the Torah the Mishnah continues and it says that these things that were created Ben Hashmashot we had the Mana we had the uh, Torah we had the scripture and so on the next thing is a very interesting subject that a lot of people like to talk about is the Mazikin Mazikin means these destructive spirits. So, people love to watch scary movies. People get an adrenaline rush by watching scary movies. But here we're not talking about a scary movie. Here we're talking about reality. Now, when Hashem created Adam HaRishon, He created him on the sixth day. And the same thing with uh, Chava. Even though she was a second after him, he took a bone from his rib and made Chava. He created him complete. 
afterwards, afterwards, the Chachamim explained to us in this Mishnah, the commentary on this Mishnah, is that he created many other spirits. Many other, just like he put, for example, the soul in Adam Arishon, or one part of the Neshama of Adam Arishon, and, the, and then he put the body and connected the two in essence. After he created Adam and Chava, he also created many other spirits. But he did not complete the creation because Shabbat started. Shabbat started, not allowed to create on Shabbat. Even Hashem has to keep Shabbat. So before he actually ever gave these spirits bodies, Shabbat started and therefore they were, if you will, not really, but if you will, you could say that they were like incomplete creation. They were created that way for a purpose, but in essence, it's what's the, what are these mazikin? Mazikin are these spirits that in essence could have been human beings, complete human beings like you and I. They could have been. They, are, they have the ingredients. They have the makeup. They have a part that we have. But they're missing the body. They're missing other parts of the neshama also. For example, we have chokhmah, binavadat. They don't have chokhmah. They have dat. They don't have chokhmah. So there's different parts. They have different parts they don't have. In essence, it's like an incomplete creation. Now, one of the reasons that Hashem made these shindalits is to show us how significant Shabbat was. Shabbat is so significant that even Hashem stopped His own creation. I mean, technically, He couldn't create them in a second. He doesn't really need. But He said, no, no, I, I did it right in the moment, right before Shabbat. To make an you know like somewhat of an illusion or an implication that I stopped really because of Shabbat. He really didn't stop because of Shabbat, but it's more like an analogy or a metaphor that it's a he didn't complete the creation because of Shabbat. To show you that Shabbat is so important that even Hashem stops working on Shabbat. He doesn't just say it; he really does it. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is what's the really the bigger meaning? What's their purpose, these creations? Why couldn't he just complete them on Sunday, the next week? It's because as they are, they're complete for what they need to do. What are they complete for? They are the tools that Hashem uses to punish us. One of many, there's many other tools. There's tornadoes, there's earthquakes, there's diseases, there's many things. This, these specific spirits, they exact retribution on man for his sins. That's what the Gemara says. That's what the Mefashim says. That's what the Magen Avot says. All the Chachamim agree. This is not like a debate. There's no machloket. They have a single thing. Now, the Gemara in Maseret Gitin, page 52a, says an enormous story where there was a couple that would fight on Shabbat, constantly. And one day they came to Rabbi Meir Baranes, and they said, Kvod Arab, we're always fighting. When are you fighting? All couples fight here and there. When are you fighting? He goes, no, we always fight on Shabbat. Oh, fight on Shabbat? Something's wrong. 
Something's wrong, there's something in, there's something in, there's something's wrong. It's not enough kedusha. there's this, there's, there's a lot of things. Shabbat is a holy time. Now, a person needs to know that when they come home from the Knesset on Shabbat, there are two malachim that come with him, the Gemara says. One is a good one, one is a bad one. If when he comes from the Knesset, the house is prepared, it's holy, the, the, the Shukhan Shabbat is prepared, the salads are already on there, the, the, everything is good, there's good mood, there's good, even though the kids are driving the mom crazy, still she kept her spirits up, she's excited for Shabbat, and it's a good environment, the good Malach says, may next Shabbat be just as good as this one. And the bad one, even though he doesn't want to, he says, Amen. Against his will, he says, Amen. Now, if it's a bad environment, where as soon as you come home from Beknesset, your wife is still in a robe, she doesn't really want to do Shabbat, the kids uh, want to play video games, no one's interested in keeping Shabbat, the, the food is not even made yet, you're going to eat some, uh, some, uh, some fast food, the bad Malach says, may next Shabbat be just like this one. And the good Malach says, Amen. This is why sometimes when you have a fight on Shabbat, you have to do everything you possibly can to do as many mitzvot as you can throughout that entire week, especially on that Friday before Shabbat begins. Why? Mitzvah goreret mitzvah. Because already the Malach says the next one is going to be bad. So you have to do everything you can to save the next Shabbat and get out of this cycle that you're in get out of the bad cycle that you're in this is also the secret if you remember i told you a few months ago the secret behind why when someone makes a sin at the times of the bet mikdash they told him to bring a uh, bring a korban you ask the question what is a poor cow why is she at fault for the guy violating shabbat by accident what the cow do what the chicken do miskena he should be uh, slaughtered not the cow it says the cow obviously is, repl- is really, in essence, supposed to be the person being slaughtered. So it's representing the whole slaughter of the cow is representing that really for the sin, even though it was accidental, in reality, if Hashem wasn't merciful, He would uh, slaughter the person instead of the cow. But why do this whole act? Why can't He just uh, just say, "Okay, I'm sorry"? So it's because He has to. Right now, even though it was an accidental sin, turning on the light by accident. Or violating Shabbat by accident, or doing something by accident, it was an accidental sin. It's still a sin, even though it's accidental. It's still a sin. And since the Torah says mitzvah goreret mitzvah ve'avera goreret avera, one mitzvah leads to another. One sin leads to another. The reward for a mitzvah is another mitzvah. The reward for a sin is another sin. You made a sin, even though it's it's accidental. It's still a sin, which means that unless you break that chain of sins. By bringing a korban, you're going to make another sin, and it's going to get worse. So go, 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 make the first mitzvah. Bring the cow, bring the chicken, do the korban, do something as soon as possible to make a mitzvah, to break the chain of sins that you started accidentally. Because you started accidentally, but if you don't bring a korban, you don't do a mitzvah right now, the next one is not going to be an accident. The next one is going to be on purpose, because you're already in it. Yetzirah has already taken control. So, these... Mazikin, when are they created? They're created when we make sins. And each time this couple that came to Rabbi Mir Baranez got into a fight, they create more of these Mazikin. Every time a curse word came out, more Mazikin came out. 
Because each sin creates either a malach or a shindalit. Either a good angel or a bad one. You say a blessing, you create a good angel. You say a curse, Shem you create a demon. And the Gemara says, and it's also the sources in Tehilim, when David HaMelech says, 10,000 on your right hand and 1,000 on your left hand, what does it really mean? It means that if a person really saw all of the beings next to him, he'd see that there's 10,000 demons that want to rip him apart right now. But the thousand righteous ones that, are, that you get some mitzvot are, are protecting you. Alva, you have 10,000 angels and a th- only a thousand uh, sinful ones. In reality, most of us have the opposite. In reality, most of us have much more of the opposite. That's why you have to do tshuva. Every time you do tshuva, every time you make a mitzvah, you're destroying them. So, Abimeh Baroness went to the house and says, you have to sanctify his house, make some mitzvot, and he did a few different things using Kabbalah Ma'asit, and he kicked out the Satan himself out of the house. He said, Mamash, you got, got to the point, Ashrechem, you got the Satan himself showed up, not even the demons. He himself is in your house. And he kicked him out of the house. And Satan got angry at Rabbi Mebaranes. He said, you're lucky you're Rabbi Mebaranes or I kill you. You're lucky you're Rabbi Mebaranes or I kill you. Imagine that. Just thinking about what Gemara says that Satan is all eyes. He's so scary and so big, just from seeing him, mankind dies. Some person sees him, dies. Just from seeing him. Doesn't have to touch him. That's how scary he is. So, the Gemara in Masechet Brachot talks a little bit more about them. So first and foremost, Gemara Masechet Brachot, page 61a, it says, Darash Rav Nachman Barav Chizda. Rav Nachman bar Rav Chista, meaning the son of Rav Chista, he gave a lecture. Ma'idichtiv, he said, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's, is a, is a verse in the Torah, in Sefer uh, Bereshit, in Genesis 2-7, it says, Va'yitzer Hashem Elohim et ha'adam, b'shnei yudin. It says that in the verse, in uh, Genesis 2-7, it says that Hashem, God, formed man, but it sees that the word, uh, Yitzel, formed, has an unusual spelling. There's two letter yuds. Usually it's spelled, Yitzel is spelled with one yud. So what's the second yud? He says Yetzeratov and Yetzera. One yud is for Yetzeratov, one yud is for Yetzera. So you see this is in, in the verses, it's in the writings. It's not just a, a figment of our imagination. He says this word is the only time in the entire Torah it's spelled this way. It's not a spelling error. It says this is in creation. In creation, this is the time in this specific verse, Hashem created Yetzeratov Yetzerah. You have one good inclination, one bad evil inclination. Good inclination will try to convince you to do mitzvot. Bad inclination will do everything it can to get you to do avirot. They make sins. So, and it shows different verses in the Torah of different sources saying the same thing. But Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi said, got scared from this. Why? He says, Oily mi yotzri ve oily mi yitzri. 
Woe unto me for my creator, Yotzri, but woe unto me for my inclination, my evil inclination. Why woe unto me? He says this evil inclination, this Yetzirah is so strong, woe unto me, how am I going to deal with him? And if I don't deal with him, woe unto me when I meet my creator too, because he's going to punish me for not dealing with him. Woe unto me if I don't do tshuva. Who's saying this? Tana Kadosh, Tana. Someone that can revive the dead, he's scared. We, we think we're all going to Gan Eden. Him, he's scared to death. Just, just someone said, you have Yetzirah. He said, oh, to me, I have Yetzirah. Just hearing Yetzirah, he's got to start doing tshuva. So now, why? Why is he going to me? Me Yetzri, Yetzri. Because he knows what the outcome is. Early in the Gemara, in the same Masechet uh, Brachot, page 6, it says, what actually happens? What are these things? What are these things that are created from our sins? Abba bin Yamin Omer. Abba bin Yamin says, if the eye would be granted permission to see, meaning everything that's around it, no creature would be able to stand in the face of the demons that are around it. Abba Binyamin is saying, if you actually really knew what's next to you, from your own creation, not somebody else's stuff, not somebody else's sins, not somebody else's problems, your problems, what you did, he says you wouldn't be able to survive. You'd get scared to death. Why? They don't look like us. It's not, uh, not your friends, not your boys. Abaye, Abaye says, they're more numerous than us. There's many more of them than us. Meaning, if let's say there's 8 billion people in the world, there's 800 billion of them, 800 trillion of them. It's not like it's one-to-one. And they stand about us like a ditch around the mound. What does it mean? They completely surround each person. Because each time he does something, it creates it. Each act, something creates it. Rav Huna, the same one we talked about before, Mezakeh Rabim, it says each one of us has a thousand of them to his left and ten thousand to the right. Like I said the verse before. This comes from Psalm 91.7. And Rava says, Rava says, do you ever go to a lecture? He says this, way, do you ever go to a lecture? Do you ever go to a lecture, Torah lecture? And I'm going to talk about the Tony Robbins lecture. So do you ever go to the Torah lecture? Do you ever go to a Torah lecture and you feel like you're being squeezed, like you don't feel comfortable, you're like, you can't sit down? You just can't sit down. You went to a lecture, you went to Shiu Torah, but you feel like, you know, uncomfortable, the chair's not comfortable, and all of a sudden he smells and she smells, and there's something wrong, there's just, you ever feel that? Rava, Rava is saying this. You ever feel one of these things? Maybe your, your legs all of a, you're sitting down, but your legs got tired. You're sitting down, but your legs got tired. All of a sudden, your, your legs hurt, your feet hurt. Or you're standing and it, all of a sudden you're like unusually tired. You ever feel that? Because you know why? It's all due to them. They're doing it to you. Because where else do we see them? They ask him, where else do we see these uh, demons? Where do we see what they do? He says, you see Tamidei Chachamim, people who learn Torah? Notice, especially in those days, today... Depends where you look, but especially in those days, poverty was everywhere. 
It's not like today. Today, for, for, for better or for worse, the world is rich. For better or for worse, especially in America, the world is rich. Poor people in America are considered rich in comparison to previous generations. So, he said, rabbinic students, people that go to, to college and, and, and study for it, that's what they do, they study all day. You ever notice, they look worse than everybody else. Why? They have holes in their clothes. They constantly have holes. Like, you give them brand new shoes, next week the shoe opens up like it's about, like it's like a whale. Why? Why, 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 is, why is their clothes wear out so quickly, these people that learn Torah? He says they're affected due to their rubbings. Meaning rubbing against these, uh, these demons. And they're affected. And uh, those feet that are knocked are affected due to them. So this requires a little bit of an explanation. The Koach this is a little bit of Kabbalah, but it's necessary for you to understand what I just said. The Koach the the impurity, the power of impurity in the world, in order for it to live, in order for it to survive, it has to have Kedusha. Like it doesn't just survive off of sins. It actually survives off of mitzvot. What kind of mitzvot? If someone, for example, made a mitzvah, but he regretted it. Regretted that mitzvah. The entire mitzvah that he had goes to Koach He regretted making mitzvah. He gave a donation. And uh, then he said, ah, you know what? I could have bought a watch with this money. I could have done this. Ah, it's better off. Ah, he has enough money. Ah, this. Ah, whatever. He did something. Or he did, uh, you know, he uh, went and bought kosher food. And he said, ah, it's the same thing. The same thing, kosher, not kosher, all the same thing. He regretted the mitzvah. Or he went to Beknesset and he ended up missing an appointment. Ah, I shouldn't have gone to Beknesset. The entire mitzvah that he has goes to Koach now. So the tumah, the impurity, feeds off of our mitzvot. Now with Talmidei Chachamim, people that learn Torah, they're not making the same level of averot. So this tumah, these demons, are constantly trying to bother them, to get them to make sins. Now since they can't get to them because they're holy, and the Gemara Masechet Chagah says, Talmidei Chachamim, Kulam Ish, uh, uh, the uh, people, Talmidei Chachamim, they're complete fire. The demons and different spirits keep trying to bite at them to, to get something out of them. They can't because they're complete fire. So what do they do? All they get is their clothes. They keep making holes in their clothes. They can't get the neshama. They can't get the body, but they're going to get the clothes at least. That's all they get. Baruch Hashem. And then it tells you how, if you want... To know if they're around. In those days it was more possible. I don't know if it's possible today. If a person wants to know who's next to them, he could do what Shlomo Melech did. Shlomo Melech, if you remember in Shira Shirim, in Song of Songs, it says that he has 60 strong men, 60 heroes surrounding his bed. Why 60 heroes surrounding his bed? Because he knew who's next to him. He saw them. He was friends with them, some of them. But he knew they were also trying to hurt him too. One of his friends was the king of them. 
Ashmadai was his friend. Ashmadai was the king of the demons. One day, he got a, uh, they got into a uh, little tiff. They got into a little argument. Now these demons, they don't have power like us. They don't have the same thing like us. So this Ashmadai kicked. He kicked Shlomo. Kicked him. And Shlomo went all the way to the, the, other, the other part of the world. He went across the world. He lived. It's not like he physically... It's like, how much? He went through. He got to the next corner of the world. And Ashmadai changed form and became Shlomo. So now people thought, he's Shlomo. And this continued for years. So it's not like a week. Why? Because Shlomo, it's not, they don't have planes. He's not going on uh, JetBlue or El Al. And he's uh, flying back to the kingdom. He has to travel back. He has no money. No one knows who he is. After a little while, the, war, the, the, the clothes that he has tear up. He looks like homeless. One day he gets to the gates. He's like, I'm Shlomo. They start beating him up. It's like, you, you, who are you? You're a homeless person. You're saying you're Shlomo. You're our king. They start beating him up. So what is he going to do? He just uh, sits over there. He sets up shop. He's homeless now. King, Shlomo, the Mashiach comes from him, he's sitting in the uh, streets, homeless. While this demon is running the country, he's running everything. How do they figure it out? How do they figure it out? One day, this fake Shlomo, the demon, comes on to Shlomo Melech's mother, Batsheva. He tries to come on to her. She knows her son is a tzaddik. What's wrong with him? She says, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. It's not my son. What do you mean it's not my son? He looks exactly like him. Physically, it's exactly identical. Can't tell the difference. It's not like it's like a scar. It's not a costume. It's not a costume. He physically looks exactly like him. So how could it be? She was a holy woman. She says, it's not my son. Something's wrong. So how can we know? Put refined powder. Put powder around the bed. Put powder around his bed without him knowing. So when he wakes up in the morning, he's going to walk on it. Before he knows. Why? Because the Shadim, they have three fingers like a chicken. Their feet are like a chicken, like a rooster. So throughout the whole day, he always had his shoes on. So no one knows what his feet look like. But he's not going to go to sleep with his shoes on. So he says, we're going to put it and we're going to see the footsteps in the morning. If they have the uh, footsteps of a chicken or a rooster or, or a batyana or what is it called, batyana, those big uh, birds, uh, ostrich. ostrich, if it has a footstep like that, then we know it's not Shlomo. And that's exactly how they found out. So now what's going to happen to him? What we're going to do? Where's Shlomo then? Where's Shlomo? One of the servants says, you know, your highness, you know that there was some uh, homeless guy there was some homeless guy that said he's Shlomo a few months ago. Go find him. They went and found him. They found this one. Baruch Hashem, Shlomo Melech went back to his uh, kingdom. But this was a kapat abonot that Shlomo Melech got. So the Gemara says, someone wants to know what's around them. Don't try this at home, by the way, because I don't think even if you, even if there is or there isn't, you don't want to know. Trust me. Uh, it says you put a bunch of uh, powder around your bed. If you have footsteps of a rooster... They're there. That's what the Gemara says. 
There's also another way that you can see them. But this one I'm not going to tell you. And the reason I'm not going to tell you is because I know there's going to be an idiot that tries to do it. I know there's an idiot that's going to try to do it. And the problem is that if he actually succeeds, the rare chance that he actually succeeds to do it, we can't undo it, which means he's going to go crazy. If you see, like I said, if you see what's not, what's really next to you, you're going to go crazy. And I don't want anyone to go crazy. Anyone that wants to go see it and find out for themselves, they can find out for themselves. I'm not going to take it on my own for you to go see these things. It's, uh, it's too much of a responsibility. We already have enough problems. We don't need to create more. So the second system, I'm not going to tell you. For your own good. For your own good. Not that I think you guys are going to do it, but I know somebody on the internet is going to try to do it. And then, uh, put it this way, somebody actually did it. Somebody did it, somebody did it on, uh, in, in the Gemara. One of the Tanaim tried doing it. He did it. He succeeded. And he started losing his mind because he was so scared. He couldn't move. Until the Chachamim all gathered together and prayed for, for Hashem to remove this thing. Now we can pray all we want. We're not Tanaim. It's not going to work. You understand? So since we're not Tanaim and we can't do it, I'm not going to take the chance of anybody learning this. Yes. Ken, I think it was three years. Considering how much he knows, Ken, a little bit less than than Ken, I suppose that he probably wants to like Apollo and end up in the Ken, Ken, Ken. He did come back. What do you mean? Travel through time? Travel through like what? Uh, uh, to a, a dimension of some kind? Uh, there is a limited amount of information that I know. That's that's not that's not part of that limited information. Uh, I mean, listen. It's also you have to understand is that just because somebody knows how to do something doesn't necessarily mean that Hashem will let it work. You know, that's that's another thing. Now, there is another thing. There is another thing that we need to know about these demons. It looks like we're going to have five shiurs about this uh, thing because this, just this thing is very deep. There is something more. When is the time that a person creates the most amount of demons? Wasting seed. A typical avera, a typical sin that a person makes, usually makes one. Makes one sin, makes one demon. The problem with wasting seed for men is that there's many sins being made because each seed is a sin of its own. It's an independent sin of its own. It's an independent a uh, demon of its own that's created. Which means that each time a, a, a man wastes seed, he's literally creating hundreds of millions of them. Hundreds of millions of them. So, it's obviously a bad idea to do, but no one talks about it. Now, in the Gemara, Masechet Nida, page 16b, it says that each time seed leaves the organ of a, uh, the member of a, of a male, an angel is appointed over the seed, 
and the angel's name is Lila. And this angel takes this drop and brings it to Hashem. To Hashem. What will be with this seed? What will be with this seed? Is it going to be rich? Is it going to be poor? Is it going to be alive? Is it going to die? Is it going to make it? Is it not going to make it? Rich, tall, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. What's going to be master of the universe? problem is when a man wastes the seed the angel can't do the same thing why the man already decided with the fate of the seed to kill it problem is that the seed itself already has something in it. it's already a being so each one of these seeds creates a being it's an incomplete being it's an inc- it's a demon and now that demon is actually considered his son. And that demon is telling him, Abba, how come you didn't give me a body? 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 And we've talked about this many times. The scary aspect of it, where literally, that, uh, as the, uh, the Rambam says in Mishneh Torah, that a person literally needs to understand that each seed has a potential for good and evil. Each seed has the potential to be the Mashiach, or it could be Hitler. Each seed. By you deciding, by you deciding what the, uh, that this is going to be wasted, Shem you've decided this is going to be Hitler. You've decided the fate for it. But Hitler, for you, not for anyone else. For you, not for anyone else, Shem Him and a hundred million of his friends. tell you something I never said before about the same subject the Chaim says that if at the time of intimacy between a husband and a wife if there are pure thoughts there are pure thoughts in the mind of the wife and the mind of the husband this is creates that the shorish of the neshama of whatever comes out the seed that actually that Laila brings to Hashem and Hashem says okay this one will live this one will be twins this one will be a baby that's a boy or a girl whatever because of the pure thoughts of the parents during the act not before not that he went to shachrit and mincha and he read shas all day no no during the act itself, he's thinking about Hashem. Because in Judaism, in the Torah, the intimacy between a man and a woman is holy. It's not like the goyim, where they think it's filthy and disgusting. In Judaism, the intimacy between a husband and a wife is a holy event. If you make it into a holy event. So if the thoughts during that time are holy, the Orach Haim HaKadosh says the Shoresh HaNeshama will be pure. That neshama that 
succeeds, Hashem says, give this one potential of being Mashiach. Unlimited. Why? The thoughts, the thoughts of the husband, the thoughts of the wife were pure. During the most difficult time, you can say. Otherwise, the Orachayim says, it can be an evil soul that would have major difficulty to do tshuva. Meaning, as a Jew, you're even expected to control your thoughts during a time that you're intimate with your wife or husband. It's not just being, being uh, good thoughts when you're in Beknesset or when you're praying to Hashem. Even during a time of intimacy. An evil soul can get to such a point where it can have, it can be created in a way that it's difficult for it to do tshuva. Already predestined, this is a soul that's one of the Gilgulim of uh, Erev Rav. Doesn't mean it can't do tshuva. It's going to have a difficult way to, difficult journey to do tshuva. Sometimes you see certain people, you tell them the truth 500 times, they don't listen. 501, they're going to listen. Why? What was the one difference? Nothing. 500, you have to break the stone. 500, you have to break the stone. Some people are like that. An evil soul, just like it's given extra power from Shemaim, in order for it to beat, in order for it to create evil, it's also given extra power to beat the Yetzirah too. So it's still measure for measure. It's not that Hashem, you know, ties its hand behind its back. Is that he gives it a lot of power on both ends. A lot of power to make evil, a lot of power to make good. The same neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu could have literally been the complete Bilam. And if it beats it, if it beats the Yetzirah, this evil soul, it could attain the highest levels of Kedusha. So now heroes are going to say, okay, so I might as well think bad thoughts. Give my kid a chance to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Please, don't do him any favors. Like somebody used to, uh, somebody said this story one time about Rav Steinemann, that a person came to him and uh, asked him to borrow some money. He had life saving. He said, listen, I'll give you money. Give him 100,000 shekels. And whatever, the shtar was, you're supposed to give it back to him in six months. Years passed. He never gave it to him. Rav Steinem, you borrowed money from Gdola Do, you didn't get paid back. He didn't pay back. Five years later, five years later, he comes and he wants to give him the money back. Oh no, don't worry, you don't have to give it. You don't owe me anything. What do you mean, Kodalav? I'm sorry, I was supposed to give you five, four and a half years ago, I'm giving it to you now. No, no. After I saw that you didn't give it back to me after six months, I figured you can't give it back to me, so I decided already, it's a present. Keep it, so it's not an avira, so it's not a sin. I don't want to, what's going to happen with a sin. That's a holy person. So the very same Rav Steinemann, there was a guy that plenty of times people went against him. Anyone that's a Ishemet, people go against him. So it was a guy that went against Rav Steinemann and Mama started embarrassing him. Later on, he realized that he made a mistake. Later on, he realized he made a mistake. And he came to apologize to Rav Steinemann. He came to apologize. Well, I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. Rav Steinemann goes, No, Chas Shalom. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
Ashrecha, you did me a big chesed. It's good for me. Thank you. The guy is shocked. He's thinking that uh, he's going to get it on the head, really what he deserves. Instead, uh, Gdoladol is telling him, thank you for embarrassing me. He doesn't know what to do to himself. He's okay, okay, okay. okay. And he starts turning around and walking away. He goes, oh, and by the way, oh, and before you go, oh, yeah, yeah, just one thing. You did me a favor, Baruch Hashem. Just don't do the same favor for anybody else. For me, I know it's a favor for me. But no, but don't try the same favor for anybody else. So don't make this uh, future baby any favors. Now the biggest chidush I just learned recently. Every single time we've talked about wasting seed, we've talked about men. Because men have seed. And men have a problem. The Rambam calls it the most difficult thing to do tshuva for. Why? Because it's more addictive than any drug. Once a person is addicted to wasting seed, whether it's by himself or with somebody, it doesn't make a difference. It's very, very difficult to overcome this, uh, this addiction. But according to the Benishchai, I love a shalom. He says that according to Kabbalah, when a woman has, in essence, an orgasm, whether it's in her dreams, and in essence, on purpose, unintentional, or so on, she's also making demons. If it's not used for the purpose of recreation, it's also, it's, it's in essence, the, almost the same level as a man. It's not the same level, because not actual seed, but according to the Kabbalah, Ben Yishchai says it also creates bad, uh, bad spirits. There's no free lunch. No free lunch. Now, this, the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch calls wasting seed for a man the biggest sin in, in the entire Torah. So there's no machloket, uh, there's no debate of whether it's allowed or not allowed, like some people think that it's, uh, it's okay, it's not a big deal since everybody does it. For some reason, people think that just because everyone's a Nazi, it's okay to be a Nazi. Just because everybody you know, uh, does bad things, it's okay to make bad things. This is completely illogical. Just because the vast majority in the world don't make a lot of money, does that mean you're not going to make a lot of money? No, you're still going to try to make a million dollars. Why? Because you want to do good. So you can't look at all the bad and say, oh, because everybody else is bad, I'm, it's okay for me to be bad too. No, Torah says it's not allowed. Not allowed to such a point that a person literally is self-destructing. And we've talked about it extensively. I just wanted to go cover some of the things that uh, we didn't talk about before. So these mazikin, these incomplete beings, are created mostly during that such an act, both for men and women. Both for men and women. Which means that modesty and watching yourself as far as how you use the tools that Hashem gave you, if you use them for kedusha, for holiness, you have nothing to worry about. Why? Good is going to come out of it. If you're thinking that uh, you and the animals should be able to behave the same way, animal works on instinct and you're going to work off of instinct, just because you feel like doing it, you're going to do it, then you should know that you're going to have a lot of new friends. 
You're going to have a lot of new friends. They're not really your friends. I'll give you a last thing. Maybe it'll scare you enough. If it didn't scare you yet, I'll give you a scare you enough a little bit. All right, we're already in it. Might as well. Go all in. Go all in. The Rabbi um, Yudhaftaya, Adav Shalom, used to deal with these things. There's something called a dibuk. A dibuk is when one of these spirits goes into a human being. A person walks around, they do something, the spirit goes into them and takes control over the body. This is like the Le'avdil, but it's like the movie Exorcism or Exorcist or something like that. It was made 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's a real thing. A dibuk is a real thing. It's not so common today, but it used to happen very often, 100 years ago and more. And there were only mekubalim, holy, holy people, like Abiyu Daftaya, the Avat uh, Chaim, the, uh, and people that were mamash, experts in this specific field were able to even deal with these things. So Abiyu Daftaya actually wrote a whole book about his different conversations with these things. So one of the times that he actually talked to a person that was controlled by someone, you would find out what's happening in the next world. What do they see? Who's next to them? Da, 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 different conversations. Scary as can be. It's scarier than the Shio Bagenom. Scary. Mamash. Unbelievable. I'm not going to give you all the details. People think that uh, this world is the real world. They have no idea. So now one time he sees there's a poor woman that was taken over by some person. She doesn't know who it is. And this person is torturing her. It's not a person. It's a demon. But he, the spirit took over her body and he's torturing her. How is he torturing her? He's having sex with her. He's in essence raping her. Imagine non-stop. This is for a woman. This is like the, the, the night that better off go to Gainom. Why? This woman was, he asked her, how, how, did, how did you have a right? How did you have a right to uh, get into this woman? She said, Sadiqa. She covers her hair with a scarf. She's modest. She prays. She's a good woman. How do you have a right to get into her? What'd you do? Oh, one time, she got upset at her husband, and she threw something. And the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, when somebody takes something, he's in the middle of anger, he throws something, it's in essence like he's giving korban to the Satan himself. Because anger is Avodah Zarah. What Avodah Zarah? You're worshipping the Satan himself. How do you actually exercise it? By breaking something during anger. You break something during anger, you threw a remote across the room, you threw your phone, you threw the kid, you threw the table, you did something? Mama, is considered Avodah Zarah. To who? Shem Echem, Satan himself. All of us have to do true after the Shia. So now Rabotai says one time she got tzadikah. She goes to Beknesset, Kisuyos, Maris, the dress is this big. Everything is good. But she, one time she made a sin. Worse sin. What? She threw something after she got upset at her husband. She threw something. That gave me the right to enter. Now this specific spirit wasn't a normal one. Why? Because usually Rabbi Daftaya would be able to say a few holy names. And they would run away, these things, they'd leave. Sometimes it's a few hours, a few days, a month. 
this one nothing works he says this one is something different this one is unbelievable this one is Shemachem. this is this thing is too powerful so now he starts asking who are you what's your real name where were you before this where were you in the world he doesn't want to tell them and they fight da, da. eventually he says who is this Shabtai Tzvi Shabtai Tzvi is one of the worst human beings that ever lived in history he was a false Mashiach a few hundred years ago but before he became a false Mashiach he was a big Mekubal he was a big Talmit Chacham huge Talmit Chacham he wasn't an idiot he was Gdol Adol went crazy Shemachem now after he found out who he was he started asking him other questions what's happening to him he says listen I'm only here because I'm, I'm running away from all the uh that Hashem sends to beat me every day for my as a punishment for what I did they torture me they this they beat me Hashem so one time and I'm gonna let you guys go with this story because it's scary enough especially for men He asked him, how do you look? How do you look now? He goes, oh, the way I look, I'm full of hair, like a, like a wolf. Why? Because of all the uh, sex crimes that I made during my life, Shem made me disgusting. His hair coming out of every place, out of every pore, disgusting and sweaty and gooey and gross and naked, said him. And he kept asking him questions, having much conversation. And then he stops talking. Like Rabbi Yudhaftai is talking to him. He doesn't talk. He doesn't talk back. But he sees that the woman is going to like, she's convulting and she's like changing, like something is happening, but he's not answering for a while. Eventually he starts hearing the voice again. He says, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you respond? He goes, I'm dealing with an enormous amount of pain right now. He goes, why? Because one of the angels, one of the Malachi Chabalah just came and ripped off my testicles. People think that the shiur about Geinom is everything that's out there. It gets much worse. The point I'm trying to make, why did all of this happen to these people? Because of sex crimes. In Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, before Neilah, before we finished Yom Kippur, we just prayed for a day straight. You barely have any breaks on Yom Kippur. There's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no nothing. You don't, you're not even allowed to sleep very much. You should sleep very little on Yom Kippur. Mamash, do tshuva on Yom Kippur. After we've prayed so much, you figure that you're holy. No, no, no. Before Neilah, make sure you do a special tefillah, a special tshuva for what? All of the sex crimes you committed. There's a special tefillah just for sex crimes. No, I didn't do all those. You did. You did. If not now, in your previous Gilgul. If not now, last year, two years ago, ten, you did. Hashem didn't have the Chachamim write it in the Sidu for no reason. People need to understand, Hashem considers the Brit holy. That's how Am Yisrael started with Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu started with Brit Milah. So you, took, you take, when, when someone desecrates the Brit, they're taking everything that started everything and they're making it Tameh. They're taking all of the power, all of the Kedushah that Hashem put into this world and they take that and put it into the garbage. This is why every mother must teach her kids these things. Not wait till they're 20 years old and it's too late already. 
The father must teach their kids these things. If there's a father, he sh- it's better off he does it than the mom because the kid's going to feel a little uncomfortable. If there isn't, the mom needs to. Somebody needs to do it. Don't wait till the kid's 15. Why? If he's 15 already, it's too late. You have to explain. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to tell you about it. But no one else is telling you. Do you understand? It's uncomfortable for you. I think it's comfortable for me to talk about this every other day. I've become uh, the uh, breed expert. Every single day, somebody's telling me about their, uh, their, uh, their problems. And people get graphic. People get graphic. They send me these emails. They start now, now they want me to become a sex therapist, too. That I don't do. No, seriously, because they think it's, I'm telling you, no one else telling you about it. So you have to do This is Torah, too. It says, actually, in the Gemara, one of the Tanaim taught his, taught his daughters how to please their husbands when they become married. Why? It's Torah. You need to know. Why? It's a holy, it's a holy event. It's not uh, filthy like people think. But you have to protect it. If you don't protect it, then you're an animal. Meaning, you're either Avram Avinu and Sarai Menu, or the cow, the lion, the hyena. There's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. I'm, I'm dead serious. It's either you're a hyena on the Discovery Channel and you're working purely off of instinct, or you're Avram and, and, and Sarah. You have to decide. It's dead serious. So, it's funny, but it's not funny. You know, so that, that's the thing that people must understand. If you don't teach the kid, young kids, 11, 12 years old, before he understands what it all means. Not after he's already used to it, he's addicted to it. Shemachem, 13, 14 year old kids, they're destroying civilizations every week. They don't understand what it means. And they don't learn the stuff in yeshiva either. And people, there's actually research, research, real research done by scientists that are completely not Jewish, completely not religious, Purely scientific, recent, not talking about just 186 years ago that I have a book that uh, said it, but recent. It said this stuff destroys your body, meaning overusing yourself, your sex drive, and so on and so forth. So the point is, there's a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. If you use it for good, you'll be good. Use it for bad, be bad. Point being is, anytime you have a difficulty arriving to Shure Torah, a difficulty staying in the Shiur Torah, a difficulty understanding Torah, a difficulty praying, a difficulty with Shlom Bayit, for whatever reason your wife can't stand you, you didn't do anything, but she can't stand you, for whatever reason your husband can't stand you, you know, you didn't do anything, but your husband can't stand you, your world around you can't stand you, like something's wrong, you always feel like something's wrong, you're like itchy, but you're not really itchy, like you feel like there's pressure, and there's always like anxiety, something's going on, but nothing's really going on. Nine out of ten times it's this. Nine out of ten times this is what it is. Many times I've tried and proven, it's nine out of ten times it's this. Very rarely it's something else. So people need to understand, it's not like, uh, oh, you're too strict. It has nothing to do with stringency. This is basic level minimum. This is Mishnah. It's Musar. It has nothing to do with uh, anything else. This is basic level. Jews, non-Jews, everyone. So, you have to decide. Do I want to be a hyena? A lion on Discovery Channel? Or do I want to be a human being? human being has to act like a human being. Not like the guy that uh, yelled at me on the highway for absolutely no reason and then decided to spit on my car. Like a hyena. Why? Because I had... Uh, my brights were on 
and even though no one was in front of me, it didn't affect him, but he decided that I'm an idiot. And he, he has the right to spit on my car because I had my lights on. This is a hyena. If it was, you know, this is, this is a person that uh, was better off that uh, his mom had an abortion instead of having him because this guy doesn't realize what, uh, what his purpose in the world is. He's a hyena. But Am Yisrael is not hyenas. Am Yisrael is supposed to be holy. Be holy because I am holy. That's what Hashem says. What does it mean be holy? Protect your breed. That's what it means. Protect your breed. So I think this is the end of this specific section. We're going to try. I mean, it's kind of late. We'll try to go into one other one, last one, and then we'll uh, finish. Because the other two are going to take a while. Kvurato shel Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu's grave. This is a, Mamash, seriously, you can make a lecture just about this. Why? Because Hashem Barach decided that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be the prophet of all prophets after Moshe Rabbeinu perfected himself. There's actually a very famous Midrash where one day this king heard the story of Moshe Rabbeinu and he uh, asked his uh, people to go uh, and, and draw Moshe Rabbeinu for him. Draw Moshe Rabbeinu. They came. They drew him. They went to the uh, desert. They saw Moshe. They drew him and they came back. And then he had these uh, people that were able to read faces and the character traits based on the facial features. And uh, he said, well, so what, what's this person? Tell me a little bit about him. He didn't tell him who he was. What do you see about this person? He said, oh, this guy's a rasha, he's a murderer, he's evil, he's angry, he's dead. He goes, I'm going to kill you. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Why? Either you didn't draw Moshe, you drew, maybe Bilam you drew, or you guys don't know, you've been lying to me all this time, you don't know how to read faces. Why? Because it can't be that the same Moshe that the God of Israel freed all of Am Yisrael for is, is wicked and evil, it can't be. He said, listen, uh, your highness, uh, this is what he looks like. And the other one, yes, and your highness is the truth. That's what we see. He says, you know what? Only way I can prove it is if I go to the desert myself and find him. He travels into the desert. He gets to Moshe. He looks at the picture. He sees, Mamash, this is Moshe. Shteti potmaim, like they say in Hebrew, like two drops of water. Looks exactly like him with the drawings. How could it be? How could it be? This is him? So these guys are lies. I'm going to kill them. Moshe Rabbeinu said, hold on a second, what are you going to kill? He goes, no, no, I'm going to kill people who are telling me, you're Rasha, you're this, you're this. He goes, why, why did I say it? And he told them the whole story. He goes, no, no, they're right. I was born with the Midot of a murderer. I was born with the Midot of someone that had anger worse than anyone else. I was born with horrible, horrible Midot. But I perfected myself. And I worked on myself. And the Torah softened me. But in reality, they're both right. The drawing looks like me, and the midot match, but I've worked on it. And that's why the Rambam in Shmona Prakim says, what's the difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and all of the other prophets? Why is he the prophet of all prophets that was able to speak to Hashem face to face, meaning at the highest possible level? Everyone else had to speak to Hashem through prophecy that was through sleeping, epilepsy, meditation, they weren't awake. Moshe Rabbeinu 
walking standing up straight and talking to Hashem like you and I are talking to each other what was so special why it says because Moshe Rabbeinu perfected himself each time a person works on a character trait and fixes that character trait if they overcome let's say for example they were stingy and now they worked on it and they're no longer stingy they've broken a wall that was separating them and Hashem they used to be angry now they know it's not good to be angry why everything that Hashem does is for the good so why should I be angry they've perfected that they broke another wall that separates them and Hashem which means that each of the prophets also had certain amazing character traits to be a prophet but there are also certain character traits that weren't perfect Moshe Rabbeinu literally perfected every single one of his midot to such an extent that the Rambam says it was the difference between the separation between him and Hashem was like a glass window nothing there's no separation so that's why he said Hashem show me your honor meaning I've perfected my midot I got to the highest level Hashem says no one can see my face and live meaning you have you have gone to the highest possible level of communicating with me through perfecting your midot that you can be as a human being any higher you cannot be a human being anymore you can't stay in the world anymore you've gone to the highest level so now this Moshe Rabbeinu the Gemara in Masechet Sota, page 13a says that Hashem concealed his tomb he decided to bury him himself and not let anyone know where he's buried as it says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 6 no one knows his burial place to this day meaning to this day now eternally no one's ever gonna know where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried and the Gemara it says that there was a bunch of people that went looking for his grave based on where the Torah says around about of where they were they started looking and they found something they found a cave in a mountain where at the end of the cave they saw that there's some type of tomb special holy something something is there they started running 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 they got to the end of the tomb nothing where to go it went to the top of the mountain so another guy says okay I'll get it he went over to the top of the mountain running 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 get as you get closer look it moved somewhere else and no one can ever get to it no one can ever get to it why Hashem says it's not for people to get to why 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 not for people to get to the very simple explanation is Karim, just look at what happened with some of the tzaddikim that died in recent history and what people have made their tombs into they've turned tzaddikim kdoshim people that are holy bnei torah gdolei ador what they turn them into false gods they go to their graves and they start praying to the rabbi not to God they pray to the rabbi Hashem if the rabbi was able to 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 come back to this world he'd kill all of the people that are praying to him the rabbi is holy no one he doesn't want anybody praying to him he's not God if he couldn't kill all the people that are praying to him why he's suffering in Shemaim for this they're embarrassing him look at your students look at your students they're praying to you what kind of students do you have they're praying to you instead of praying to me so Shem is telling them they're praying to you instead of praying to me 
What kind of students do you have? Don't you know in Avot, in Perkei Avot, it says the Chachamim need to be careful with their words? Chachamim need to be very careful with their words to make sure to tell their students, don't pray to me. I'm not God. I'm not the Mashiach. I'm not anything. I'm just a Yehudi. That's it. That's when people make even funny jokes. They say certain things. Oh, they, uh, yeah, you're Mashiach. Yeah, you're Tzaddik. You're nothing. I'm nothing. You're nothing. Everybody's nothing. Why? It's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. 100%. Not even, not even 99%. It's all Hashem. The more you realize that it's 100% Hashem, the better off you are. Why? Because you're closer to reality. The more you think you've done, you contributed to the world, you've contributed to mitzvot, you've contributed, contributed to your company, you contributed to anything, the less, less room you're leaving for Hashem. The farther you are from reality. So, Hashem did not want to take the profit of all profits and make it available to the public. Why? Because He already knows the future. If they're making a local rabbi into a god or some imbecile that people killed 2,000 years ago into a god and cows into a god and snakes into a god and everything into a god, what are they going to do into the only person in history that actually spoke to God face to face? He says, he's too holy, I don't want to ruin it. No one's ever going to go to his grave. No one's ever going to go, I don't want to ruin it. He's Moshe Rabbeinu, he's my special Moshe Rabbeinu, that's it. Hashem says no one's going to go to his grave, no one's going to do any Louis Nishmat, no one's going to do anything. We don't need your candles, we don't need your prayers, you don't need nothing. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm going to do the on 7th of Adar. Uh, do, uh, let's do a special tailing for Elui Nishmat Moshe. What Elui Nishmat? What Elui? You think he needs your help? You need his help. What Elui Nishmat? You think he needs your help? Study his Torah. Study his five books of Moses. That's the best thing you can do. He doesn't need your tailing and your candles and your special seudot. Study his five books of Moses every week. Read Parashat Shavuot like you commanded to. You're fine. And that, Rabotai Yekarim, is the end of that particular one. I think that the relevance, the relevance of the grave of Moshe Rabbeinu could not be more relevant than it is today. Because many people love their rabbis so much, they've turned him into a god. And the problem is that when you did that, when you turned your rabbi into more than a rabbi, you ruined him. You ruined him. You ruined your connection with Hashem. He may be holy, he may be great, he may be smart, he may be a lot of things, but he's not God. And he's not the middleman between you and God. Why? One of the 13 principles of faith in Judaism is there's no middleman. Not even Moshe Rabbeinu is the middleman. Not even Moshe Rabbeinu. No one, there is no, that's, that's the difference between Judaism and everything else in the world. We don't believe there's a middleman. You want to pray? You pray directly to God. You don't need Moshe. You don't need the Rebbe, you don't need Rav Ovadia, you don't need the Rambam, you don't need Rabbi Mir Baranes, you don't need anything. You pray directly to God. To be even uh, the, the grain of sand they stepped on once in their life. But we don't pray to them. We don't pray to them. Why? Not allowed. Not allowed. And the reality is that even though there are certain zgulot and certain stories where, for example, Rabbi Vadya Alava Shalom, at one point of his life, he was uh, losing his vision. He was losing his vision. 
and he went to Rabbi Yosef Karo's grave and he prayed there. He prayed, not to Rabbi Yosef Karo, he prayed at the grave and he asked for Rabbi Yosef Karo to help him and fight for him in Shemaim because he has schuyot in Shemaim. He wrote the Shulchan Aruch. He says, Maran, fight for me in Shemaim for Hashem to heal my eyes. Why? Because what's, what's in it for you? I'm going to take your Shulchan Aruch and I'll publicize it all over the world. My whole life's journey is going to be to publicize your alachot. Shulchan Aruch. And Mamash, he prayed, his prayer was answered, and his eyes healed. Even though, and the rest of his life, he wore these red glasses to protect him, even more so. Because he knew what it was to lose it. He was not, the doctor was saying, you're going to go blind. So yes, there's Shgulot. But why, do, why does the Rambam say, the Rambam, 900 years ago, say, Shgula, don't go to a grave. Zgula, don't go to a grave at all. Ever. Why? Because the reality is, Rabotai, most people don't know how to do it. Most people go to graves of tzaddikim and pray to the tzaddikim. They go to the graves and instead of praying to Hashem and praying to get the tzaddik to fight for you and maybe you're going to do something in return. It's like a business transaction. Not you're praying, Rabbi, help me, help me, help me. For why? Why would he help you? Oh, I lit a candle for you. Take your candle and uh, go sell it. What are you, you going to do with your candle? Do, what are you going to do? Oh, have a, I'll, uh, I'll learn your Torah. I'll learn your Mishnayot that you wrote. I'll learn the uh, Gemarot that you are a part of. Okay, that's something. I'll uh, do Zikwe Rabin, teach different uh, things that you said. That's something. But people just go and they say, no, no, Rabbi Meir, help me, Rabbi Meir, help me, this one, help me, that one. For what? So what do they do? They turn these tzaddikim into idols. They start praying to them. Rambam says, don't go and don't do anyone any favors. Why? You don't know how to do it anyway. It's a place that's tame. It's a cemetery anyway. It's not ideal for people to go there anyway. And either way, the ones that are going, they don't know how to do it. And instead of going to get the merit of a, uh, of a tzaddik to help anything that you need special assistance with, special siyad nishmaya, instead you went and idol worshipped. So this is one of the things that's happening every day today, Rabotai. Every day people are making this mistake. They're praying to the tzaddikim. You're not even allowed to pray to Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to pray to Hashem. You have to know what to do. You have to know how to do it. In reality, don't pray to any tzaddik. Pray to Hashem. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Even if, if Moshe Rabbeinu was here, he'd tell you the same thing. Don't pray to me. Pray to Hashem. This is the mistake that the Christians made. It didn't start off the way it started now. Christianity didn't start off the way it is, right? The original Christians were fools, but they weren't uh, secular like the Christians of today. A lot of them were uh, fools. They were ignorant. They were illiterate. But they were somewhat religious, though. But now, then they turned their man into a god, and everything turned into a complete idol worship. It's completely 100% idol worship. That's where the Rambam psaks halacha that the uh, Christians are 100% idol worship. So, 
it's very, very critical to understand the difference. And that's why, better off not to, in my opinion, don't do it at all. Unless you are 100% sure of how to do it. But why? If you could pray to Hashem, why need anything else? And people do this all the time. They go to the oil in, uh, in New York for the Rebbe Lovabitcher Rebbe, or they go to Uman for Rabbi Nachman Breslev, or they go to Morocco with different tzaddikim that are buried there, or they go to Israel and they, there's different tzaddikim there. Yes, if you know what you're doing, do it. Enjoy. If you have nothing else to do and you, know, you uh, are not a uh, Talmud Yeshiva, go ahead, you can do it. You can spend a little time doing it. I don't know, spend an hour a year doing it. But, uh, you know, as far as uh, the people that are going there on a regular basis, even if you know what you're doing, you shouldn't do that. Whatever, an hour a year is fine, you know. But that's the thing. That's, the, that's what people need to understand. And Bezot Hashem, hopefully we'll finish this Mishnah. <laughs> it's not next, it's already late. It's almost 12 o'clock. Uh, I'm sure you have a couple of questions, then I'll let you guys get some sleep. Uh, what's, uh, anything? Who says you're not allowed to drink, think the Torah when you're naked? No. The correction. You're not allowed to learn Torah in a filthy place. Filthy place means there's bad smell. Because bad smell is bad for the neshama. If you're doing a prayer, for example, if you're doing a prayer, the minimum requirement for you to do a prayer is to cover your private parts. So if, let's say, for example, somebody asked me this question the other day. If somebody wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, he, let's say he sleeps with shorts on or with boxers, uh, does he ask to, does he, and, and he goes to the bathroom, does he have to now to say Hashem Yetzal, because you have to say Hashem's name, does he have to now put on a shirt and put on long pants, and put on a kippah, and the whole thing to do the prayer of Hashem Yitzhak, or he's half asleep, it's the middle of the night, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, he just woke up in the middle of the night, went to the bathroom, or should he just skip the prayer? No, he doesn't have to put anything. If he has at least shorts on, he's covering his private parts, he's allowed to say Hashem Yitzhak. He should put a kippah on, but he doesn't have to. He should keep it, put one on, he doesn't have to, he does not have to put a shirt on. He should, but he doesn't have to. Meaning... If it's either going to be, don't do it, you're not going to do it, or you're only going to do it with your underwear on or with your uh, shorts on, it's fine, you can do it. Why? Because the minimum requirement to do a prayer is that. But, but, that is to do a prayer. To think about Hashem, it's not only, it's not only that you can think about Hashem all the time, but you have to think about Hashem all the time. The issue of what you can't do in a filthy place where it smells, whether it's the bathroom and it smells in the bathroom, or even it's outside and it smells, for example, if anyone that has kids, and let's say, for example, you're picking up your kid, and your kid went number two. At that moment, your kid went number two, and there's a smell, you must stop praying or learning, whatever he's doing, until you remove the smell. So even if you're in the middle of a, uh, for example, 
uh, women that have babies this is a constant problem why let's say for example she wants to uh, pray Amidah she's obligated to do Amidah once a day she's probably uh, now according to the Torah you're not allowed to stop Amidah the Gemara in Masechet Berchot says if someone comes to you and tries to talk to you in the middle of Amidah you're not allowed to respond to him if a snake starts crawling on your leg not to stop Amidah only if a scorpion why a scorpion because then it's mamash life risk snake is not 100% life risk or if there's a king and this king is known that if you don't respond to him he's gonna kill you then you're allowed to break otherwise if it's not real life risk you're not allowed to break it but that's for men women on the other hand women on the other hand if you have a baby if you're caring for a baby unless you're in the middle of Amida and the baby is crying and you know that if you can continue to finish finish but if you know this something is happening or perhaps the kid went the kid went number two you can stop don't say anything don't stop to like don't uh, start talking kuchikuchiku just stop change him or her remove the smell and go back to exactly where you left off you don't have to start again as a woman you're allowed to do that why because in reality if a woman is not allowed to do such a thing she would never be able to finish Amida why because if she has more than one kid there's always somebody crying there's always somebody going there's always somebody doing something it's not possible for her to ever pray so obviously it's a, this is something that's allowed for it's a special leniency for women men on the other hand unless there's a scorpion so if you have scorpions in the neighborhood you should probably move though don't hang out with scorpions so someone is allowed to think now continue continuing with the things as far as thinking about Hashem you're allowed to think about Hashem and you should think about Hashem all the time even more so when you're intimate with your wife even more so why look at how your body is performing it's it's an it's a it's an extraordinary machine where you literally have something that is nothing is going to turn into a human being I mean if that if anyone like if you actually go to any of these doctors that deal with births you know these whether it's men women doesn't really make a difference I actually went one time and went to uh, one of these doctors the doctor was completely not a religious person I don't know what she was or whatever but she saw us we obviously look religious and immediately as soon as she saw us, she goes isn't God wonderful wow there's a rabbitson I didn't even know the doctor's a rabbitson you know what why she goes look at how amazing somebody she tells us she goes somebody has to be really blind and stupid not to believe in God because look something that came from she's telling us this we don't even know this lady what a nice lady she was something that came from nothing and I get to see what happens throughout the whole journey in the stomach of the wife and eventually turns into us somebody has to be stupid blind and dumb all combining together to not believe that this is God it, it doesn't make any sense it's it's literally nothing is turning into everything so when you're thinking about the beauty of the creation it's very easy to appreciate the creator 
If you're not thinking about the Creator, that means you're probably not appreciating the creation. If you're not appreciating the creation, you may be a hyena. You guys like the hyena analogy. Oh, we're going to use that next week. We're going to use that one. We're going to sell, we're going to trademark the hyena. We're going to trademark the hyena one. Next. Next question. No, Orachayim. We learned Orachayim. Orachayim says you have to have pure thoughts. What's pure thoughts? Thinking about Bamba and Beastly? What are you thinking about? What's pure thoughts? Pure thoughts thinking about Hashem. Pure thoughts thinking about the Kedushah of Hashem, the holiness of Hashem. How grateful we are to Him. How amazing He is. How loving He is. How extraordinary He is. That's pure thoughts. What are you going to think about? Steaks? What are you going to think about? Only thing that's any good in this world is Hashem. Everything that's related to Hashem. Teilim, Psukim and Teilim, Parasha, Gemara, Deshur, whatever you want to think about, is it going to make you closer to Hashem and it's going to give you good thoughts? That Bezad Hashem is going to give you good children too. Because again, remember, the intimate intimacy between a husband and a wife, when the wife is Torah, when she's pure, it's a holy event. There's nothing wrong with it. It's holy. It's a Sefer Torah. It's not like it's like, a, oh, it's nice. Yeah, they, like, no, no. It's like Matan Torah. It's Mount Sinai. It's Mount Sinai. I'll give you an example. Hashem says in one of the Pesukim, He says, Don't touch my Meshichim. Meshichim? What is one, one Mashiach? Don't touch my Meshichim. Don't uh, touch my Meshichim. What's don't touch my Meshichim? What does it mean? Every single child, every single Jewish child that comes to this world has the potential to be Mashiach. Hashem says, don't touch my Meshichim. Every one of the little Tinukot Shebet Rabban, every one of these little babies has a potential to be a Mashiach. Don't ruin them. Don't ruin them. So, if you thought, if you thought about it like, you're, like we're supposed to, and if next time you change the kid, instead of thinking, oh, little stinky, little this, little that, oh, he makes so much noise, oh, he's so annoying, oh, he's this, instead of that, you're thinking, you know what, let's say somebody, you know, one of these little uh, angels came to you and says, Mashiach. What? He's the Mashiach. What? Mashiach. You know that this kid is the Mashiach. All of a sudden, it doesn't smell. All of a sudden, the balagan is fine. All of a sudden, you're excited. You gotta do more poop, do more pee, break the house, break this. It doesn't make. Why is Mashiach? He's Mashiach. All of a sudden, the kindergarten teacher likes him, even though last week she hated him. All of a, everything, everything. Why is Mashiach? That's what Hashem is saying. Don't touch my Meshichim. Don't touch my little children. Why? Every one of them has a potential to be Mashiach. Some literally, some figuratively. Meaning it could be Gdolei Adol. The point being is, Rabotai, is that if you understand that the whole aspect of intimacy in Judaism, in the Torah, is holy, and it could literally bring the Mashiach, why wouldn't you think, thank Hashem? Why wouldn't you think about good things? Or you'd rather be a hyena. This will help us become closer to Hashem and get us to laugh a little bit, but also get closer to Hashem. 
ברוך ה' לעולם, אמן ואמן.